Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone, and happy 2024 from the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Hope you had a great weekend with Brooke Grimsley and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker at 701 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke, happy new year, and thanks for bringing in the celebratory uh, accoutrements that we have oh, this morning. Oh, yeah, we're waiting on one other person in this room to send the cell. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. Happy good. new year. Yeah. I'm not going to go do this the whole show. These are not easy to see through at all. I can't run. These are not easy. With the program. I got, my, like, I, got a, I got a small pinhole I'm looking through right now. It looks like it's closed in on me. We do have our Air Alliance team studio <laughs> cam up. Just go to YouTube and type in 101 ESPN STL. Search for us. Subscribe to the station and uh, we'd love to have you see our Happy New Year stuff after a great weekend of sports. Uh, Brooke, how was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was fantastic. Good. It was fun. It was, yeah. we, you know, we need to start doing that uh, that Monday off thing regularly. Oh, that was that was really yeah, nice, yeah, Randy. I like it. And we to need be able to, to settle in. Yeah, yeah need yeah. to have more football games oh. during the day on Monday. What a what an incredible day! If you just are waking up and you're tuned in, you missed a great finish to Texas Washington last night as Washington advances to the national championship game next Monday night here on 101 ESPN against Michigan, who beat Alabama in overtime, 27 to 20. My heart was pumping last night as the second game came to a close. Both games were exactly what the committee was looking for. Yeah. Right? A hundred percent. If you go to that Michigan Alabama game, I know that there's still some controversy. And I saw people on social media saying Alabama didn't deserve to be there. They still went toe to toe with Michigan all the way to the end. And I know we're gonna talk about the end there because that was a uh, not great what happened there at the mm-hmm. very end. And then to have Texas and Washington, I was telling you, Randy, honestly, I knew that Washington was a good team. I knew who Penix was. I knew that he was very talented. But then to actually watch them, Penix is incredible to watch. And that is a really good Texas defense yes. that he sliced and diced. And he was as accurate as any quarterback you've ever seen, right? Oh, 100%. Yes, He was dropping dimes. It was amazing. We'll get to the second game first, and it was crazy. So Texas is down by a score of 37-28. to They kick a field goal with 131 to go, thinking, okay, we can get the ball back. But And they've got a couple of timeouts. So on first down, Washington runs the ball. Dylan Johnson up the middle for a couple of yards. Timeout. On second down, Washington runs the ball. 
timeout, Texas. On third down, they're thinking, okay, we'll run the ball, we'll keep the clock running. Texas doesn't have any timeouts left. Dylan Johnson gets hurt. He injures a leg, injures a foot, which had been previously injured. The running back for Washington causes the clock to stop with 50 seconds to go. So Washington has to punt to Texas. And Texas runs the ball down the field, and they're in position to win the ball, win the ball game as we approach the final gun. Ewers lobs it up, and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. And I don't know if you were thinking about it, but can you imagine being denied a shot in the national championship game because your running back got hurt? Oh, that would be so bad. Yeah, and it wasn't It wasn't that you lost him for performance reasons. It's because mm-hmm. it would have stopped the clock. A hundred percent. That game was absolutely nuts all the way to the end. Penix Jr., as you mentioned, he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback. Do you think that, where does he go in the draft? You he might have moved up to first ha- with that performance. Yes. He's and got I, everything you need. Exactly. And I don't know if you saw, too, The Athletic has an article up about Michael Penix Jr. right now and their run. And he called a players-only meeting before this game and I think that that also displays a lot of leadership that mm-hmm. teams will look at and pay attention to not only for that performance what he was able to do you mentioned how accurate he was against a really really good Texas team a team that I honestly thought going in this is the team that could win the national championship but the way that he was able to just slice and dice their defense as you mentioned he was really really good and then you hear about that players only me- mm-hmm. meeting and how he is able to really command that room To me, a lot of NFL teams are going to be looking for a quarterback like that. He and Bo Nix, there's so much to be said for a quarterback with experience. Mm -hmm. And Bo Nix has started now 61 games at the collegiate level, which is unheard of, obviously. And (laughs) Penix played all four years, and Mm -hmm. he's been sensational. So I'm with you. I think that he he is going to be an intriguing draft prospect. Meanwhile, earlier in the day, Alabama and Michigan went at it, and this was a seesaw game. Uh, it, It was tied at seven after one quarter at halftime it was a 13 to 10 Michigan lead Alabama scores on Jason McClellan 3 yard touchdown run 17-13 tied in the third quarter Will Reichert with a 52 a 52 yard field goal to make it a touchdown game 20 to 13 but then Late in the fourth quarter, Roman Wilson catches a four-yard touchdown pass from J.J. McCarthy with 1.34 to go to tie the game at 20. So we go to overtime. Michigan scores Blake Corum a 17-yard touchdown run to give Michigan a 27-20 lead. And this is the way it ended as the clock, well, as the downs (laughs) round down for Alabama. That's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. Okay, so we talk about experience. Was that a called quarterback draw or was that panic on the part of Milrow because of the low snap? I kind of thought it was a called play. I thought it was, too. I thought it was a called play, too. I was really surprised that they went with that. I think everybody was, and that's the big talker right now. I mean, that was so obvious that you wouldn't even need Connor Stallions to be able to figure that out, right? <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I was very surprised, but I think that shows, too, maybe the lack of confidence that they had in Milrow's arm. And. They saw him run successfully for their, was it their third touch, their, their second touchdown? He kind of ran it down their throat 
Uh, yes. Yeah, on the one with the three-yard touchdown run in the, in the fourth quarter. He, he Milrow, ran it down Michigan's throat. But generally, you aren't going to bully Michigan. You aren't going to beat them up. And if I've got him running, I think I'm running on the perimeter. I don't have a problem with him running the ball. Yes. But trying to run up the middle against Michigan's defense is into the teeth of the defense. is pretty hard to do. It really didn't make much sense. And the fact that they used a timeout right before that, and that's the call that you went with, that's a big controversy. Now, what do you think, too, the other part of the conversation was it a bad snap? Yeah, it was. It, it's got to be. And that happened gut. throughout the game. It, it seemed like there were problems with the, that center throughout the game. I, I thought so. Did you think so? Oh, I thought 100%. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that affected, I don't think that affected Jalen Milrow only last night. I think it affected him throughout the season. There were a lot of times, and that's kind of weird for a Saban team to not have a great center. It's it, it's so, it's such a fulcrum for him, for Saban teams to have the center be his center's been a better offensive lineman generally than his left tackle is. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the SEC and the way that they go to the NFL. They're O-linemen. Usually, they do really, really well. But I think this one stat in particular, while I believe it was just an instant classic game, right? It was very exciting all the way into the end, even though that ending was a little weird. I thought that this stat was really telling. Michigan had 10 tackles for loss, including six sacks. Alabama registered just one tackle for loss and sack. Yeah, this is an incredibly physical Michigan team. As a matter of fact, Matthew and I were talking about it earlier. Uh, you, you probably have to go back to one of the teams where uh, Alabama had like seven or eight defensive players drafted to find as physical a team mm-hmm. on both sides of the ball as Michigan is. That's the, the one big concern I would have if I were Washington is I I don't think there's a team in America. Even They bullied Ohio State. Yeah. They, they bullied <laughs> Alabama. Who can Michigan not bully? Uh, yeah, I'd be very concerned if yeah. I was Washington, but still, Washington looked pretty good. And their head coach is something like 113 and 11 now as a head coach. <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty good. Other uh, stuff that happened during the weekend the Cotton Bowl on Friday, Mizzou over Ohio State, 14 yes. to 3, MIZ. Uh, Brady Cook, the offensive MVP, Darius Robinson, the defensive MB- MVP, Cody Schrader, 29 carries for 128 yards and a score. Luther Burden, three receptions for 15 yards and a score. Mizzou knocked out the uh, Ohio. Ohio State quarterback and the Buckeyes had 203, 203 total yards. And then fittingly, later in the weekend, Mizzou gave Eli Drinkwitz a contract extension that apparently makes him the 10th highest paid coach in America and the 8th highest paid coach in the SEC. Really? (laughs) I didn't see that part. Wow. Isn't that wild? Well, in the SEC, it does just mean more. It just means more. Yeah, it does. Except for the national championship this year. We're going to be watching from the (laughs) sidelines. Uh, The Blues lost a couple of games to Colorado on Friday night. 2-1 Two to one, and to Pittsburgh on Saturday night. Four to two. Uh, NFL. The Ravens clinched the top seed in the AFC with a 56-19 route of the Dolphins. I think the Ravens are kind of setting themselves up to be the heavy favorites heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They, you, you trample San Francisco on Monday night, the, the best team in the NFC. Then you trample the other best team in the AFC, 56-19, on the following Sunday. Pretty good. Yeah, I think the Ravens are doing really well right now. And CD, he predicted it, right? He said it was mm-hmm. going to be the 49ers and who who was the other team? I'm trying to remember mm, that he was. That not he the really 49ers. Sorry, not big, 49ers, Ravens. Ravens and Niners, yeah. Yes, Ravens yeah. and Niners yeah, for the Super Bowl. But he really didn't want to pick the Ravens. He just did. Well, that's pretty telling if you don't like the Ravens and, and you're still, still picking. picking them. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then the Niners beat the Commanders 27-20 to clinch the top seed in the NFC. The United Football League is going to be a thing. The former XFL and USFL yes. is now going to be the UFL. 
It will feature eight teams across two divisions, the XFL division, of which the St. Louis Battlehawks will be uh, a participant. And the USFL division, the Battlehawks are back as an official member. They will start play in late March. And we're going to talk to Russ Brandon, the uh, CEO of the UFL. He'll join us at the bottom of this hour. But next up, Brooke and I will bring you three things we loved about the weekend on this edition of the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Three things we loved about the weekend here on 101 ESPN. Matthew is looking, looking, looking for the numbers. You want me to do the first one? Number three. <laughs> oh, computer. Number three. There we oh, go. Oh, number three. Did I do okay-ish? That was perfect. Okay, good. My number three is going to be this weekend, great weekend for New Year's Eve celebration. We decided to stay at home, which honestly... Was the move, Randy. We had a couple over, one of our good friends, and we decided to cook for each other. We had a nice steak, some roasted carrots, potatoes, and of course, the grapes at midnight. I don't know if anybody else tried any of the New Year's celebrations, traditions that I brought up this past week, but we did the grapes. It's a lot harder than you think to eat 12 grapes within a span of a minute, right when it hits midnight. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I try to eat grapes during the break, as you know, during the Uh, fight, and I, I don't think I ever downed a dozen in a minute. Uh, we were panicking a little bit. We were, we were like, okay, we got to get this. We had to get this. This is good luck because you eat the 12 grapes for the 12 months so that you'll have a good year. So it was just a very nice celebration at home. And this is where I got the decorations from that we are donning today. Mm-hmm. And we played Cards Against Humanity. And Randy, you'll be shocked to believe who won. I'm going to predict that uh, the Brooke Grimsley won. It was me. <laughs> and, but I was asking you, is that a good thing or a bad thing that I won? The game of cards against humanity. You don't want to set the tone of losing. So I think it's a good thing that you won. Have you ever played the game? I don't believe I have. Maybe I have. I'm not sure. How does it, what, what are the things? Uh, the, Rock, have you I played we, it before? I think we might have it at home. Yeah, yeah, I've played cards against humanity. How would you best describe it? Oh, there's um, like a prompt, there's a question, and then you have cards, and you want to be able to kind how, of shock the person yeah, who has Here's the how I'll explain it. Ten per, it's 10% being clever and 90% knowing how to manipulate people. Oh, well, can we flip that? Like 90% no, no, being clever? It's, it's 90% <laughs> manipulating people because eventually, after like the first two rounds, you just you just start figuring out, oh, no, no, okay, I know how to get this one person you do, yeah, you with do figure the out most what they left think. field thing that no one else in the group is going to put into the pile. And then it's just manipulation at that point. Okay. I, I don't, I, was, I think that manipulation is a negative word, Randy. So I'm going to go with clever, 90% clever, because you do have to it's figure out accurate. what people think the book, is funny. The, the, the cover of the the game does say cards against humanity a party game for horrible people Uh oh whoopsies <laughs> congratulations on your win. <laughs> it's a lot of fun randy you'll have to randy you would love this game okay. i promise you okay uh Brooke, <laughs> I, I know i will because i'm a horrible person uh, uh, no that's not what i'm saying it's a fun game okay. you would get a lot of laughs okay. out of it uh my number three was also new year's eve and uh, we were at top golf and they do such a great job all the time at top golf by the way half price golf today 
on Tuesday over at Top Golf. But uh, they do such a great job for big events, and we've had our holiday party over there here at Hubbard Radio, and uh, they did a fantastic job on New Year's Eve with the party, and everybody had a great time. And Joe and Jared over there are fantastic at what they do. I think it's the best business plan in America, maybe in the world, oh, what, yeah. what Top Golf does. And so we had a great time over there, and they really made it. Fun and memorable. So uh, I, I had a great time over there. That was definitely one of my uh, highs of the weekend. You sent a photo and it looked like you were having a blast. Yeah, it was. Uh, a little <laughs> selfie with my son Patrick in the yeah. background taking a swing. Yeah, yeah it looked great. Yeah, it was fun. Number two. My number two is going to be Mizzou winning the Cotton Bowl, a bowl because, of course, and we already got one text in, Randy, and we can discuss this later on. I don't want to hear anything about it was their third string quarterback or they had third string players, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to oh, hear any oh, of that. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, yes, Randy. Uh, they had their second string start the game, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Who had practiced for a month and mm-hmm. they was highly recruited and is yeah. going to be so, uh, apparently their quarterback next year. How did he get hurt? Mm, I don't know, Randy. How did he get hurt? He got hurt because Johnny Walker Jr., a Mizzou defensive end, trampled him. Oh. That's why the third string quarterback was in the game mm, because okay. Mizzou knocked out their second string quarterback. And you know what? You can't keep your number one quarterback. He transfers to Syracuse. <laughs> You can't keep your Ohio State. He's going to J school, probably. They have a great J school. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's it. Come on, give me a break, Ohio State. (laughs) I hated seeing that, and the fact that we already got one text about that this morning. But either way, the thing that I loved, the second thing I loved, is Mizzou winning. They played a fantastic game, especially that fourth quarter was great. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that it was the St. Louis guys, that trifecta that we've seen all season. Luther Burden, Brady Cook, and of course, Cody Schrader were the ones who were the big moments. And then whenever Luther Burden hit the silencer too, Uh that was a great moment. So I'm just really excited for Mizzou and really excited to see those St. Louisans, the St. Louis area athletes play so well on such a big stage. And I don't know what they were thinking, but I think they got it right because we all know, at least in St. Louis, that Cody Schrader deserved credit as the MVP, right? Doing what he did against that vaunted Ohio State (laughs) defense. But for him to be the MVP that we all know, and then for Brady Cook to get his accolades too was really cool. As yeah. the, the official, he got the guy. That got, he's the guy that got the trophy. He, They'll probably get a hacksaw and cut that through. baby in half. He did. Yeah, he's a ranty. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, just keep it together. Uh, and Brooke, again, we, we're thinking like, and as you know, I think sports is the most galvanizing aspect of our society. There are mm-hmm. things now, politics, religion, that used to bring people together in America, but don't anymore. The one thing that can bring people together is sports. And we saw it, I'm sure, at many places on Friday night. I was over at the Fenton Bar and Grill, and the Lutheran South people got together, and tons of Mizzou fans got together. And it's so cool when your team succeeds and everybody goes nuts. When you have hundreds of people in a place and everybody goes, ah, when your team (laughs) does something big. And I just love the galvanizing aspect of everybody that was in that building and outside, by the way, with the Mm -hmm. heaters and the big screen, everybody reacting to the success of the Missouri Tigers. And it's the great thing about having winning teams is people getting together and hugging somebody that you've never met before. That's a beautiful moment. How nuts did it get when Cody Cody Schrader scored? Oh, it was bananas. Especially there, right? Yeah. Because that's Cody's hangout. So, yeah, it was absolutely bananas. It was really cool to see. Yes. Number one. Well, my number one, Randy, is going to be Kaka 
is the law. The Battle Hawks are back, baby, with the announcement this weekend. And also, you got a great endorsement when they were making the announcement of which teams were going to make it from The Rock and Danny Garcia, the owners of the XFL. And then, of course, one of the, I would say, the most successful market in spring football, which was St. Louis. Our St. Louis Battle Hawks, where Kaw is the law, that passionate fan base, that great team with the passionate Anthony Becht doing his thing and leaving them again. He sold out every week. The guys, we were averaging 30, 35,000 fans there every week. It was very, very cool. I listened to the whole announcement, and that was the best announcement for any of the teams. So I'm glad that St. Louis is getting the credit for being such a great sports town and is getting rewarded with football back here again. And now we know why that particular announcement wasn't made on an NFL pregame show. They made the announcement that it was going to be the UFL on an NFL pregame show, but the NFL doesn't want anything positive said about St. Louis on their pregame show. You think that that they want to make sure of that? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. When Orlando Pace went in, to the Hall of Fame and mentioned St. Louis and they put the his speech up online, they removed the reference to St. Louis initially. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is so petty. Yep. That when, is so when, petty. When Joe Buck went in and got the Pete Rozelle Award a couple of years ago, they made him do his speech in two minutes during a commercial break on TV. Wow. The, uh, the NFL Network multiple times when showing... Um, St. Louis Rams highlights will just put will will the they they'll block out the St. Louis part of the logo and it just says Rams yeah. and there's nothing that infuriates me more. Yeah, it's, they have they have determined that in their history the St. Louis Rams don't exist. It's amazing. Wow, that's very nice of yeah. them. So I, I'm very excited about the the UFL and Russ Brandon, their CEO, is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Brooke, my number one thing is the quality and the excitement of football I watched all weekend. The 14-3 win for Mizzou, and that one was in the balance. If Ohio State was a decent program, maybe they would have made more of a game of it, but Mizzou wins it. It was it <laughs> if was they exciting. Cared, if yeah, they even cared. Yeah, well, if it meant as much to them as it does in the SEC, where mm-hmm. it just means more. Exactly. Right. But then... Saturday, you've got the wild Dallas-Detroit game. We're going to talk about that later on with the officiating at the end. Sunday, you've got Bengals-Chiefs. And sure, you've got a team with a backup quarterback and a team that's diminished right now, but it was an exciting football game. Mm -hmm. And then Monday, you've got the two games that we talked about in the first segment, Bama and Michigan, Texas and Washington. Man, this is why we love sports, because you have such excitement throughout the course of a weekend. And especially on cold, miserable days, you just sit and you're lazy and you eat bad food and drink bad (laughs) drinks. Watch football. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> well, especially towards the end, obviously, of last year, because that's when you're doing is you're celebrating the holiday. Mm-hmm. You're still eating bad. And to also have that coincide with college football, NFL, all those great games. Randy, I hate when it starts to get to this time of year and college football is in. I love college football. Me too. And if anything, I think that with how wacky the NFL season has been and how bad some of the games have been, I've enjoyed college football even more. I like college football also because you don't have, fortunately, you don't have many games that are memorable for bad officiating. Not that the officiating is great, but the NFL, you have so many games that seem to be, heck, you're going to have a a home field advantage for Detroit decided on a bad call by the officiating. I still can't believe that happened. I can't either. But it just doesn't seem like the folks in college football screw things up from an officiating standpoint nearly as much as the NFL does. And of course mistakes are made, but what you're talking about on that scale where it determines so much, 
I still can't. I know we're going to discuss it a little bit later on in our NFL four downs, but that was one of the wildest things. I think that it's not crazy to think that referees can make a mistake. There should be a process of where they can admit that mistake, and maybe there's some way to fix it, because that was a mistake that happened on the ref's part. And you have to be focused. You have to be focused every single thing that if you're an NFL referee, and clearly Brad Allen wasn't. All right, those are three things we loved about the weekend here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, as Brooke mentioned, having the Battlehawks back is awesome. We're going to talk to the UFL CEO, Russ Brandon, next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. If your homework means a new deck, turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber says. St. Peter's is your go-to place for a huge selection of quality bedding plants, perennials, and hanging baskets. They also carry topsoil and potting mix for your gardening needs. Come visit all Hackman Lumber Showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers of the, I would say, the most successful market in spring football, which was St. Louis. Our St. Louis Battlehawks were caught is a law. That passionate fan base, that great team with the passionate Anthony Beck doing his thing and leading them again. He sold out every week. You guys, we were averaging 30,000, 35,000 fans there every week. It was very, very cool. That is Danny Garcia and The Rock making the announcement of the return of the St. Louis Battlehawks. They'll be a member of the new UFL, and four teams from the XFL will be in one division in the new UFL. The USFL will supply the other four teams in the USFL division. And joining us now on the Celebrity Line here on 101 ESPN in St. Louis with Brooke Grimsley and Randy Carricker is Russ Brandon. He's the president and CEO of the UFL. Uh, Russ, thanks so much for the time this morning. Good to have you with us, and thanks for bringing spring football back to St. Louis again. Hey, Brooke and Randy, thanks so much for having me. And uh, no place we'd rather be than Con Nation in St. Louis, absolutely. We were so excited this morning. We were talking about it, that it was one of our favorite things from this weekend was the announcement that it's coming back here to St. Louis with the Battle Hawks. So I wanted to ask you, was there ever any doubt that the Battle Hawks were going to return here to St. Louis? Well, Brooke, word on the street is it was your number one story of the weekend, which uh, yes. with everything going on, that means a lot to all of us. So, um you know, I think when we look at it, you know, tangibly, you know, St. Louis was the high watermark of what we were trying to accomplish last year in the XFL. Obviously, thirty to 35,000 fans a week and, and the passion in the marketplace, you know, it's really the, the standard of what we want to be in spring football. 
So I don't think it was ever really in doubt that we were coming back to uh, St. Louis. And and uh, we're so looking forward to being there. Coach Anthony Beck, who did an amazing job for, for uh, the Battle Hawks last year, we were back running the team. And we're excited to keep going and uh, looking forward to kicking off here and just about six weeks for training camp. Russ, one of the differences between the XFL and the USFL was that a lot of times USFL teams didn't play their games at home. What will be the case with the UFL? Yeah, so what we're going to do there, Randy, is uh, we're going to be in market for all the games. So the the USFL conference, which will feature Birmingham, Memphis, um, and Michigan, and Houston, they will play all their games in market like we did uh, last year in the XFL. So we're going to still have our centralized uh, uh, operations uh, down in Arlington, Texas, this year again. So it will be very similar to what – uh, coffee fans saw last year with coming into the marketplace will be very active with Brandon Williams leading our team in, in St. Louis uh, in the community. So we're uh, going into that that type of operation where every, every team will be playing uh, year-round, or I should say season-long, in market. What would be some of the benefits of this merger? I think, you know, bottom line is it's great for, for spring football. You've seen the amount of players you just alone in, in St. Louis that have gone on to the NFL with A.J. Hakeem, a couple examples there. And, and, you know, there was good football across the board. But to have two competing leagues in spring football, probably it, it probably makes more sense to have one league that that focuses on the ecosystem. And it's about development. It's about giving players opportunity and the opportunity for players to go back to the National Football League if that's what they desire, to keep their uh, careers going if that's what they desire. But it also, you know, from a coaching development standpoint, from a support staff across the board, I think it's a great opportunity. And I think you're going to see really good football. And I, it, it only strengthens the ecosystem, especially with everything going on with college football. It, this is a great opportunity for young men that want to continue to keep playing. And I know you guys are still working on a lot of the details that I'm sure you'll be releasing soon, but can we expect anything different game-wise with the experience? That's a great question. I think you'll see it very similar, uh, but we are anticipating some some alterations. You know, the USFL and the XFL, we continue as management to merge our leagues. Uh, Daryl Johnston, who you'll remember from Dallas Cowboy fame, will be running football operations and we'll continue to work with, again, Dean Blandino, Mike Pereira, who are two legends when it comes to uh, rules and officiating. We'll, we'll continue to be on our squad and we'll continue to refine and, and do what's best for the game. Um, I think people love the transparency that we provided last year with officiating and how Dean spoke to officials and some of the nuances. But we'll continue to also work with, with Troy Vincent in the National Football League and and uh, see what's best for our game moving forward. So more to come there, but we're in the we're we're into it right now. We've got a, a lot to get done here in the next six weeks before we go to training camp, and then we kick off on March 30th, and uh, the season will go through uh, middle of June of this year. And when do you anticipate that a schedule for the entire league will be out? I anticipate it by the middle of the month. We're we're working diligently on that. We have. You know, obviously a great partner in Fox, who's one of the ownership groups here. And, you know, games will be on Fox and ESPN and, and ABC. So we'll have really good windows for, for television purposes. But one thing we know is that uh, Battlehawk fans will show out and anticipate great crowds again. And I still, last year, will we'll never forget 
going for a run at nine o'clock in the morning and it's 30 degrees out and there's seven, 8,000 people tailgating before the first game. So looking forward to seeing that again. Oh, Russ, we, we love it here in St. Louis. Russ Brandon, president and CEO of the UFL is with us on 101 ESPN. A couple of other things to touch on. Number one, Last year, we kind of fell in love with A.J. McCarron in this town. And when McCarron signed with the Bengals, it was pointed out that his rights would still belong to the Battlehawks. With the merger, is that still the case? Are, are our guys that signed in the in the NFL still going to be the property of the Battlehawks? Yeah, that is correct. Um, we're going through a process right now with dispersal draft and protections and different things along those lines. But uh, Anthony... And Dave Bowler, your general manager, will continue to frame the roster. Obviously, A.J. did an amazing job for not only the Battlehawks, but for the league as well. You don't have to look much further than week one uh, to see the emotion of of that game and and, in his children and everything around that. So, um, A.J., I'm sure if if he chooses to come back, and I know he's on the Bengals now, uh, I'm sure he would be a Battlehawk moving forward if that's what Anthony and Dave choose to do and if and if AJ chooses to do that. And, of course, we're very excited to have Coach Anthony Beck back. How great was he for the Battlehawks last season? And he just was really a champion of the Battlehawks and really hyping up the team around town. Yeah, I, uh, I can't say enough about Anthony. I think, number one, I think he's one of the best young coaches in our sport. And I also think with his ties to St. Louis – and what it meant to him. You know, he did an outstanding job both on and off the field. Um, he does uh, great work, and he's great on social media. He loves to engage with the fans in the marketplace. Um, he did, did an outstanding job, and uh, I think he represents St. Louis very well. Uh, Russ, uh, you, t- people can get tickets at theufl.com, theufl.com, and uh... I, I would imagine that, and I know you're traveling today, that over the course of the next six weeks, it's going to be nonstop. You're going to have to have your, your foot all the way down on that gas pedal, aren't you? Yeah, the throttle's been down for a while, Randy. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're rolling pretty good right now, but uh, no, the next six weeks will be will be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of work, um, but it's for the, for the right reasons. You know, the, the UFL, with the merger of these two leagues, I, I truly believe that this is – a, a very, very long-term play. Um, you know, we're doing this for the right reasons, like I said, for the football ecosystem, but also for, for the fan bases. And, and there's no better fan base in St. Louis. And can't wait to get there uh, over the next six weeks and, and get the uh, fans fired up about what's to come. And I, I know there will be a lot coming to Battlehawk fans here over the next six weeks as well from the UFL. Hey, one other thing from me, it's noticeable that there are no teams in the Mountain or Pacific time zones. How difficult was that decision to make, and is that a concern at all, that basically half the country is not going to have access to the games on a weekly basis? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we're going to continue to, to look at it, and all the decisions were difficult, no question, Randy, from that standpoint. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at long-term, you know, we're looking at expansion and opportunities and I'm, I'm certain that that will be a part of the equation moving forward. But, yeah, it was difficult to get here. There's a lot of great markets that were super supportive. Um, but there was a lot to lot to do between the two leagues, and there's a lot to be done. 
So um, looking forward to just kicking off and getting this thing pointed in the right direction. And like I said, we're, we're here for the very, very long haul, and we are in St. Louis for the for, for obviously the very long haul. Well, this, this is a proud city, and we're really proud to be the crown jewel of the UFL. And uh, I know that you can expect people to show up and show out come March and April for the Battlehawks, Russ. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. I appreciate having me on, and uh, go Caw Nation. Thank you, Russ. That's uh, Russ Brandon, the president and CEO of the United Football League with us on 101 ESPN and tickets available at theufl.com. I'm so excited. I'm also excited to see what exactly this merger will look like and what changes we might see. But I think that it's going to be beneficial in the way of more talent is always a good thing. And we have seen a lot of players actually go and make it to the NFL afterwards. Right. And you, you make a great point there because... You had six, well, yeah, you had eight teams in the UFL mm-hmm. and eight teams in, or USFL, eight teams in the XFL. So now you're going to have half as many teams, but the same amount of players, more players actually available because another thousand will be cut by the NFL during training camp. So I would think that the talent level of the UFL has to be mathematically greater than it was for the U, U, the XFL or the mm-hmm. USFL. 100%. Having that all together will be a huge benefit. And also, just want to point out too, this will be great for the Dome. More mm-hmm. events that you can get to the Dome and we continue to pack it, that's going to be really beneficial for the downtown area and for St. Louis in general. Yeah, let's get some new turf in that Dome. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. I like that. I, yeah, I, I'm on board That's a good with idea. Yeah, take care of our, our guys. Uh, thanks to Russ Brandon. Thanks to our friend Brian Stull, who is uh, huge in terms of uh, making the XFL, now UFL, available to you and making the players so accessible to and coaches and president and CEO uh, available to us. They do as great a job as anybody. Yes, it's been it's really exciting, and I'm excited to continue to work with them. For those who don't know who Brian Stoll is, which you should, because I think he's he's been a writer here. He, he was an inaugural 101 ESPN guy. He was yes. our, uh, He started out as our Rams insider and then moved exactly. to the Cardinals insider. So he Stoll was, was here for a long time. He's so the, great. The nicest person in America. He really is. Uh, that is Brooke. I'm Randy. Matt Matthew is here. Coming up, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Something. I'm put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Brooke and Matthew and Randy and you with your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646-314-399. Yo-ho! Uh, I don't know if you have seen it. Did Matthew just decide to blow us off here? Yeah, he did. Come wow. on, don't, don't, don't be a Danny Mac. New year, Yo-ho. new you. Yo-ho! Okay, 314-399-9646-314-399. Yo-ho! There we go. That's a little That's bit better. That's not the New Year's resolution you're supposed to start, Rock. we are looking for here. I don't have one. Oh, my God. Yeah, we went over this. <laughs> great. Okay. No pressure for him. Uh, all right. I don't know if you've seen this viral video, but at midnight on New Year's Eve, Taylor and Travis sharing a romantic kiss. How did I miss this, Randy? Uh, take it or leave it. 
by the end of 2024, he will be Mr. Taylor Swift. By the end of 2024? Mm-hmm. like So you're mm-hmm. saying like a marriage. Maybe, maybe a summer marriage or something like that? Yeah. I'm going to have to leave it. I think that they're going to have a long... I They feel like long engagement to me. Okay. That's that's what I think is going to happen. But I do think eventually that will happen. So I'll take that part of okay, it. Okay, good. But just not in 2024. Yeah, just okay, not in good. 2024. Yeah. Do Congratulations I think pro- to those two crazy kids. Oh, they're so in love. Yeah, they are. It's cute. Yeah, even when they lose or when they're losing. And I, I, by the way, Brooke, I wouldn't be surprised if he retires after this year. I wouldn't either. Well, even the comments that he has said this season or going mm-hmm. into the season about how he was even thinking about being done. It just reminds me a lot of Gronkowski. Right. And once you start thinking about it, then you've got a foot out the door. Exactly. A hundred percent. So take it or leave it. We're about to discuss this here in a minute, but I want to go ahead and get some takes on this. The college football playoff committee got it right with the four teams. I'm going to leave it. Mm-hmm. And here's why. It's not because of Florida State. It's because of Georgia. Yes. And... I'm not so sure that a one-loss Georgia wasn't better than a one-loss Texas. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia probably would have beaten Washington last night. I think Georgia was probably the best team in the country. Well, they were, were they not? Until for, they for the lost to Alabama, right, right. and then that's what knocked them out. If anything, that was one of my thoughts this weekend, too, and I'm also going to have to leave it just for that. I thought about that this weekend, not because of the way that Georgia just absolutely obliterated Florida State. Outside of that, I do think that Georgia was the best team, one of the best teams in the country consistently all year, and all it took was one loss to Alabama to knock them out. That being said, I don't blame the committee for doing what they did in giving an undefeated Washington team their their opportunity. Obviously, they deserved it. And because of what had happened, because Texas had beaten Alabama and Alabama had beaten Georgia, you almost had no choice. You had to at that point. But if anything... The big controversy, of course, with Alabama and Michigan, I think that that was at least the right call because it was a game that had to be decided in overtime in a very mm-hmm. dramatic fashion. Yeah. Randy, you know the TV ratings had to have been insane for oh, that off game, the which is what the committee was looking for. Yeah, right. 100%. Yeah. All right, your texts and Matthew, what do we got? Take it or leave it. If Coach Drink makes a college football playoff next season, he'll be coaching for a Blue Bud the next year. Oh. I'm going to leave that. I just get the sense with the way that he's recruiting and with the money that he's making and with the fact that he's got the program going here and with the fact that there are 12 teams in the playoffs, I'm going to leave that. And I'm trying to think, okay, let's assume there are 10 blue blood teams, okay? He's not going to Michigan. He's just He, he doesn't fit at Michigan. He's not going to Ohio State. He doesn't fit there. Uh, Texas is in the playoff this year. I don't think they'll replace Arkeesian next year. Does he go to a place like Alabama, or do they go after a guy like Dabo rather than a guy like Drink? Drink's had one winning season, yeah. and if he makes it next year, that'll be two winning seasons. Uh, is he going to go to Oklahoma? No, I, I don't see Oklahoma and Drink being a fit. I'm just I'm thinking of the Blue Bloods, probably not going to USC, probably not going to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not going to Georgia because Kirby's going to be there. I just don't know where the fit next year is, unless something really untoward happens and somebody has a stunning one-win season. But yeah. if, And we're going to talk about this later in the show, too. If Nick Saban retires this year, I don't think they go after drink. I don't think Alabama... Uh, I could see them going after, after Dan Lanning. 
maybe, mm-hmm. because he's coached in the SEC. I could see them certainly going after Dabo, but I don't see them going after Drink. Now, if they get turned out, maybe they come down to Drink. But I still, But then he also just signed an extension through right. 2028. So right. I think job security is also a nice thing to have, especially if you're a head coach in the SEC, and he's getting that right now at Mizzou. And do you want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban? No, absolutely not. No. So I'm going to have to leave it for that. We're getting a lot of texts. People are just like, well, he just signed an extension. You ever heard of a thing called a buyout and teams having a well, gob amount of money? Yeah. Last year, Hugh Freeze signed an extension, I think, in uh, in Dece- no, in November. Yeah. And then he moved to Auburn in December, a month later. It's a little bit different. When you mm-hmm. put when you put a, a buyout on, a, on like Gates, when we're talking about basketball, it's a completely different you know, economic system when we're talking about football. I don't know if they can put a big out a buyout big enough that would stop a blue yeah. blood. If, if if he's the right coach and that's the coach they want. But I I do have faith that uh, Drink is really honest when he says he's got one of the best jobs in America. Yes. Take it or leave it. Ten hours is the maximum amount of driving that you can do on a road trip in a day before you start going crazy. Ooh. That's that's light work. That's light work. No, it takes. You got to get your numbers up there, champ. Yep. Really. Fourteen. I think 14, I think you can I was going to go 12. 12 or 14, I think. I think 10 is a lot, so I'm going to have to take it for that. I think that that's a long, very long period of time. So here's here's my thing here. It takes 10 hours about to get to Atlanta mm-hmm. and about 12 to get to Valdosta. So I can do Valdosta in a day. I was going different. North Jacksonville. I was going different. It takes about, you know, depending on where you're going in the state of Colorado, about mm-hmm. 10 to 14 hours if you if you have to go all the way over to the other side of the mountains and you're going like deep to the other side. Mm-hmm. That's about 14. Denver's about 10 or, 10 or 12, depending on how you drive through Kansas. I think you got to be able to wake up in St. Louis at 5 a.m. and and go all the way through to Denver. I think that's that's the that's the amount oh. you need to be able to road trip, in my opinion. See, I, I don't play it that way. I always leave in the afternoon. I get a full night's sleep, and I leave in the afternoon, and I drive at night. I think it also depends on where you're driving, right? Mm-hmm. If it's very scenic, if you're driving through a lot of just flat land and nothingness. That's like true. I remember when I worked in Arkansas, having to drive through Oklahoma, we would always go to the OSU game that they had, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State game. And the, that drive felt like an eternity because it's just flat. I'll bet. And it was yeah. nothing casino, nothing casino, nothing casino. Yeah, that's all you'd see. So it felt like I was driving for like days. The uh, the drive to Dallas is like a million dollar general stores. Oh really? Yeah. How many could you count? You think well, if you just had to guess? Oh, uh, in those ten hours there had to be twenty. Ooh. Yeah, pretty many. That's a lot. Take it, take it or leave it. With betting becoming more popular, we need to see more transparency from officials. Ooh, I'll take that, yeah. I'm going to take that, too. That, didn't that pop into your head on Saturday night? Yeah. Absolutely it did. It felt a little yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. It felt a little weird. Yeah, you wonder. Okay. Now, because that game I don't think was affected at all in terms of money mm-hmm. by that call, but you could definitely see it happening. Yeah. It's a little questionable. I, I could, it happened in the NBA. And I know the FBI is looking at all of their officials all the time. The The NFL uh, has former FBI agents that are looking. But if, if it's a cash transaction, you never know. That would be so crazy to do that, though. Yep. You know you're going to get caught, You'd right? Think, well, but if it's for, you know, a, a million bucks, is it worth it? No, Maybe? not probably not if you're going to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, I think officials make like, what, 10 grand a game or something like that? Do they really? Yeah. Well, especially at that level, I would assume yeah. a pretty good amount. Yeah. That's why I mean. That's why having you know a good reputation, having your whatever the report card, however the numbers break out, you you get more games, you get the big games, you get the big paycheck. Well, and here's the, the other thing: in the NFL, I have to believe 
that at some level, whether it's blatant or not, the league, it, it's probably an unwritten rule. If there's a 50-50 call, it's going the way of the Cowboys. Hmm. <laughs> it makes sense, especially at home. Yep. yep. Hmm. Aside from the Des Bryant call a few years ago, what call has gone against the Cowboys in a big big game? Mm. Oh, I can't think of that off the top of my head. That's a good nope. question. You can't. No. No, all their big all their big scrubs have been their own. Marion Barber had that fumble. Tony Romo has the bobble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Des Bryant's really the only non like player, you know, faulted right. one you can think of. I can think of off the top of my head. I don't think that Roger Goodell wants to make Jerry Jones mad. Hmm. That's fair. AI Jerry Jones. $44 million has to feel good. Uh, Take it or leave it, or whatever it's up to at this point. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will once again finish in the bottom two of the Central. No, I don't want to take it. I'm going to leave that. Okay, let's look at this right now on January 2nd. The Cubs have not spent a dime in free agency this year, right? All they added (laughs) was Craig Council. (laughs) Yeah, they got their manager, and that was it. Cardinals are going to be better than the Pirates. I would hope so. Please, I don't want to do that. That was so weird last year. Yeah. Brooke, I still can't figure out how the Reds were good last year. I when you look either. at every number they have, and it's not even peripheral numbers, it's like normal numbers. Why mm-hmm. how how were they good? So I think the Their Cardinals, pitching staff wasn't yeah. good. Right. It, it wasn't. Nothing was good. It was except for they stole bases and they, they had a nice run there. Yeah. When uh, LA De La Cruz came up. So you, I I think the Cardinals as we speak, and we have a long ways to go, I think the Cardinals are even with the Cubs. Because the Cubs need to add pitching, and they they still need to take care of replacing Bellinger or signing Bellinger. Uh, cards are better than the Pirates. I think they're as good as the Reds. I don't know how good the Brewers are right now mm-hmm. because they lost one of their starting pitchers. Uh, they they non tendered Woodruff, and they still have Corbin Burns. But I, I don't know how good they are. So when you look at the division, everybody's playing the same schedule. I don't. I, I could see the Cardinals finishing fourth. I could see the Cardinals finishing first. Does it kind of disappoint you that the NL Central hasn't done anything that yes, big this offseason? Yeah, it does. And if the Reds get cease, I would make them, even though it's weird how they did it last year, I, I would put them at the top. And if the Cardinals get cease, I'd put them at the top. And mm-hmm. then if the Cubs go out and get a representative number two and fix that big hole that they put in their lineup with the current loss of Bellinger, if if they fill those two things, then the Cubs should be a favorite. What do you think that Chicago ranks like sports market wise? Are they one of considered one of the bigger sports markets? Absolutely, yeah. But they're not acting like it, which is kind of weird to me. I know that they signed Craig Council, mm-hmm. but to not do much of anything else, and maybe they will the rest of this off season. But still, I think that's a little surprising that it they're is. not acting like a major market. Well, and they've they've got the TV network that's their own. Yeah, they're making money off of that. They've got their version of Ballpark Village, and they're cleaning up off of that. And oh, by the way, they have gambling in theirs, so they they've got a casino that they essentially own. Yeah. So they're cleaning up. It's if Cardinal fans are bothered by what the Cardinals have done and not adding a number one starter, Cubs fans should be furious they this offseason. They have to be. Yeah. They have to be furious. And granted, it's only January 2nd. We're a month and a half away from the start of spring training, and there's still a lot of players out there, but they better get started. Teams, There's a lot of teams out there that aren't trying. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, what a day of college football yesterday. And... Has the transfer portal screwed things up for teams? And has the transfer portal given us the greatest commercial of all time? That's next on 101 ESPN.
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Six in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And there were two sensational games yesterday in college football as we got our championship for next week. It's going to be Michigan against Washington. Michigan beating Alabama in overtime, 27 to 20. Washington over Texas, 37 to 31. And Brooke, these games were affected by the transfer portal. So, and most notably, was the the bowl game the other day between Georgia and, uh, and Florida State. And mm-hmm. Florida State got hammered 63 to 3 and never really had a chance and it, it, it's a shame but unfortunately it's the reality of what college football is right now that it, a pretty darn good team maybe they wouldn't have beaten Georgia but they certainly Florida State wouldn't have lost to them 63 to 3 if they didn't have as many players outside of their ball club as they had before yeah and without their starting quarterback who really helped them have success this season and it was just not a good game obviously looking at the final score you know that but then the biggest part of it is Florida State had so many opt-outs and also guys entering the transfer portal Georgia also has guys who entered the transfer portal as well Mm -hmm. where it's kind of ballooned into this bigger conversation of should something be done about the transfer portal and I thought it was really interesting because Kirby Smart after the game after just absolutely blowing bludgeoning Florida State, he actually made a point about how we need to look at the transfer portal and not to blame Florida State for the situation that they're in. Uh, everybody can say we had our guys and they didn't have their guys. I can listen to all that. But college football has got to decide what they want. And I know things are changing. And I think that things are going to change next year. You know what? There's going to still be bowl games outside of those. People got to decide what they want and what they really want to get out of it. Because it's really unfortunate for those kids on that sideline that had to play in that game that didn't have their full arsenal. And it affected the game 100%. So the big question is, is there something that can be done about the transfer portal? Because they, they weren't the only team affected by this well, for the, the bowl game season. The timing certainly doesn't work well with players opting out right after the regular season and the deadline being on January 4th to enter the transfer portal. There's got to be, in my opinion, a better way to time the transfer portal. And I think one of the things we have to get away from, Brooke, is the ridiculous notion that college football actually involves college. (laughs) Because it doesn't right now. Let's be honest about it. These these players that are in the transfer portal, if they are going to any classes, they aren't meaningful classes. And these Mm -hmm. players, uh, DJ Ungalele, who was at Clemson and then went to... Oregon State and now is going to go to Florida State, he's not going to these schools to go to class. He's going to play football. And I think we just need to get rid of the, the idea that this is about college. And the, then if you do it, if you leave college out of the mix, then you can have a reasonably timed situation where a player decides after the last bowl game, no transferring until after the championship game next week. And then you open it up for a couple of weeks and give the players the opportunity to move. But 
don't bother with them registering for classes and stuff like that. Well, you're saying they're not transferring to get a better education at a different school? That's what I'm suggesting. When you have JT Underwater da- basket yeah. weaving at another college? Right, right. When you have JT Daniels, started off at USC, went to Georgia, went to West Virginia, went to Rice. Okay, went to good schools. But is he really going? Is he moving around because he, he's changing majors? No. Yeah. He's going around. He's moving around for f- football. Ungalele is going to be on his third program. He's not moving around for class reasons. He's moving around for football reasons. What about the Ohio State guy who's getting that journalism degree? That's why he has to be doing that. Yeah, there's that's no doubt a, that's about it. That's why he has I was, to be doing I made that. an audible noise every time they brought it up on the broadcast. <laughs> I was like, because it hit me again every time. Like, <laughs> Syracuse, what no. is happening? And no. I 100% agree with you, Randy, that I, I would like something to be done. But here lies a couple of problems here with that whole situation of figuring out the timing of this. One is that everybody would have to admit and shift that mindset mm-hmm. of, okay, these are just athletes and not students. The other problem, too, is what is the NCAA, what what is their hand in play in this? They already have really worked themselves out of being relevant at this point and actually doing a lot of anything. But will they become even more irrelevant in this process if we change up those dates? And the other process of this, too, will this be limited to just college football or college basketball? Or will this also have to involve the other sports as well on that timetable? It will have to be according to what the sports season is. Mm-hmm. You, and there is. It's set up differently now for each sport, and it has to remain that way. Yeah, yeah. If, if the, But I'm saying if the college football rules are changing, if you have it mm-hmm. that way, for the transfer portal, will this open up the door for other sports where that could also change things for I think it them has too? To. I, I think it, to be fair to the sports part of it, which mm-hmm. is what we pay attention to, none of us are paying attention to how a kid's doing in school. It, so for the part that we pay attention to, the sport, I think it's got to be set up so it's logical for the sport that we don't have Florida State with, what was it, 21 or 22 transfers lot. and a bunch yeah. of opt-outs too. They didn't have their team. No. And, the Ohio State whiners, sure, they, they didn't have their team. Now, they still had more four-star guys playing than Mizzou did, mm-hmm. but it did open the door for whiners to complain even louder. Somebody from YouTube, Brandon Watson, just chimed in saying timing doesn't matter. They would still opt out of the bowl game if they plan on transferring. Not if you, uh, not if you can't, right? Mm-hmm. Now they can elect not to play. They can opt out, but if you're not allowed to transfer and be in somebody else's program by the time your bowl is played, then you can either opt out and say, "Okay, I'm going to transfer," but there are no guarantees, or you can play in the bowl game and try to compete. Yeah. And players still, good players, still have the opportunity to opt out and and prepare for the NFL draft, which is going to happen. So then say that we do do this shift where you are admitting that these are athletes first and then students is not really a part of the conversations that we can fix this timetable for college football and the transfer portal. Then the next steps moving forward, what exactly will this all look like? You think this will actually lessen what we're seeing now with the transfer portal? Do you think it would make that huge of a difference? And do you think this would open up the door, too, for a college football players association? It almost feels like we're getting to that point, too, with NIL and how much that factors into this conversation as well. Yeah, first of all, I don't think it'll lessen the number of transfers. But hopefully, especially when you get to a 12-team playoff, you won't have as many teams affected by players transferring because of the time setup. And I do think that there has to be a point in time in which players 
uh, are, are un- unionized, for lack of a better term, and organized so that they have a say in the process, too. Mm-hmm. And, it, it feels like yeah. we're just getting to that point. Yeah. And the transfer portal, a lot of people like it, a lot of people don't, but it does bring us a little humor, as it did in the latest ad from our <laughs> friends at Dr. Pepper. And we l- love our Dr. Pepper here on the opening drive and love me more because of this commercial that has run incessantly throughout the football postseason. Next season on Fansville by Dr. Pepper. What's happening, Sheriff? It's a transfer portal. It's out of control. We're losing our defense. No! Not our starting quarterback! We need him! You can't leave! Our offense revolves around you! Give me your other hand! That's what Dr. Pepper is! It's okay! I understand! You can't let go of your Dr. Pepper. Absolutely not. Quarterbacks are replaceable. (laughs) That's so good. I love that. That was such a good commercial. Oh, man. Dr. Pepper has it figured out. (laughs) Not our starting quarterback. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up. We are going to talk with our friend John Kelly. He is the TV voice of the Blues, who are back in action on the 4th, and that would be on Thursday against the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk to J.K. next about the Blues' recent action here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues are back in action on Thursday night when they welcome the Vancouver Canucks to town. And Vancouver, if you haven't been paying attention to the whole league, has had a really good start to the season. They are rolling right along. As a matter of fact, right now, the Vancouver Canucks have the best record in the West with 49 points tied with Colorado. And only two teams have more points than Vancouver. John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues on Ballet Sports, joins us as he does every Tuesday morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Happy New Year. Same Happy to you, New JK. Year. And uh, we'll, we'll start there with Vancouver because there's always a team in the NHL that pops up that you don't expect. And for me, that team this year is Vancouver. Yeah, they've uh, struggled the last couple of years. But, you know, Rick Tockett came in last year as their coach and a really good carryover. And they've had a great year. As a matter of fact, they beat the Blues. I think it was 5 nothing, um early in the season uh, it was a back-to-back for the Blues, but it, it was all Vancouver that night. That was one of the most one-sided losses 
the Blues have suffered this year. So hopefully they can get a little payback on Thursday night against the Canucks. What did you see this past weekend in the two losses for the Blues? They lost to the Avalanche and then the Penguins. What did you see in those two losses? Well, Brooke, number one, they were competitive, and I think they certainly deserved the better fate on Friday night against the Avalanche in that 2-1 loss. Uh, they played a really good game and should have really won the game in regulation. But, you know, the power play again, we've, we've said it a lot this season, it let them down. I think they were 0 for 4 on Friday night. You know, if you get one of those and get ahead, maybe you're talking about a 2-1 win instead of a 2-1 loss. So special teams are so important. And then Saturday against Pittsburgh, again, they played really well. Um, you know, really lost by one goal, not counting the empty netter. Um, but made some big mistakes at the wrong time and, and things like that. But having said that, they're down by a goal in the third period, and they hit three goal posts. So they didn't have any puck luck on Saturday night in Pittsburgh. So certainly if you look at the two games as a whole, uh, you know, they played really well for most of them 90% of the time and come out of there with no points. So it was really a bit of a punch the gut to get no points. But, you know, if they continue to play like that, they're going to win their share of games, no question. And, John, I'm sure we'll get an update on Justin Falk here in the next few days, but how tough is it to lose him? Of course, he didn't accompany the team to Pittsburgh after sustaining a lower body injury in that abs game. Yeah, it looked like, you know, he sort of twisted around on his left leg or ankle, and, you know, obviously he didn't look good, but uh, the coach said the other day that he was hoping that he could get back on skates in a, you know, a week or so, not really specific about the timeline, but, you know, that indicates to me that it's not, you know, a broken, you know, ankle or, you know, a ripped ACL or something like that. I, I think if it was, we would have known by now. So, you know, I think the Blues might have dodged a bullet on that one. We'll see. Um, but obviously he's so important. He plays power play, PK, special teams, and, and five on five, and, is having another really good season. So, you know, the Blues can ill afford to lose one of their top defensemen like Justin Falk. John Kelly with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And, J.K., as I watched those two games, I kept thinking about what Doug Armstrong said when he made the coaching change. He said, a lot of this isn't going to be about wins and losses. It's going to be about how we look and how we perform despite the fact that we lose the game. And, I, I, and that's just to paraphrase, because sometimes I think the Blues' talent level is going to be not up to the talent level of other teams, and so they can play really well and lose the game. I think aside from the Tampa game, though, since Bannister took over, the, the eye test has been passed by the Blues. What have you thought? Well, I agree, Randy. And, you know, the biggest thing to me under Ruby, who, as we know, is a terrific coach, is that the Blues were way too inconsistent this year. You know, they had really good highs, but, you know, too many lows. And, you know, especially that last weekend when he was coached, losing to, to Columbus and Chicago teams that obviously aren't as good as the Blues and had a lot of injuries. Um, so they underperformed. So I, I think two things, the Blues wanted to compete harder and the process had to be better. And as you said, aside from that Tampa Bay game, where they fell behind 3 nothing in the first period against, you know, to me, still a really good team, the Lightning. Um, they've been really super competitive in the other games. So um, I, I think so far the, the, the Blues have passed the eye test with Drew Bannister. Um, but the challenge now is you're on the outside looking in, and the Blues can ill afford, you know, a four-, five-, six-game losing streak. They've now lost their last two, so they need to nip this in the bud. But the, the, the other problem is, as you know, Randy and Brooke, they have a really tough schedule. I mean, look at this week. They're, they're hosting Vancouver. Then they go to Carolina against a really good Carolina Hurricane team. So 
Um, I think the challenge is to get some wins here in January and, you know, hopefully get, you know, four or five games over 500 by the end of the month and then have a real good push in, in the last couple of months. But it's going to be a challenge here in January because uh, I think this, as far as like talent and, and competition, this is going to be one of the toughest months they have. Over the weekend, the Blues were calling the Aussie, Nathan Walker. He's posted a team leading 29 points for Springfield this season. What will he be able to bring to the Blues? Well, he, you know, number one, he's he's a really competitive kid and a super guy. The, the, the guys love him. He's a really friendly guy. But, you know, he's got some offense. And he showed that a couple of years ago, not so much last year. Um, but he also can skate really well. So, you know, McEachern is a good skater. He's a banger, but he doesn't just give you much offense. So I, I think with Nathan Walker, the potential is there, and we'll see how it transpires. But uh, obviously good for Nathan. He had, a, he had a good camp, didn't make the team out of training camp, but now gets the chance here as we begin the new year. John, uh, one thing that concerns me is that uh, the captain still hasn't dented the score sheet for Drew Bannister. Ten games in a row without a point for Braden Shen. Is, uh, how concerned are you about that, and wh- what are you seeing there? Is there a reason for this? You know, I don't think so. He's had some tough luck. He's getting his chances uh, working hard, but the bottom line is the Blues need some production from Braden Shen, right? I mean, he's one of their top six forwards, so um, we know how it goes in sports, Randy and, and Brooke. If your top players aren't performing up to the level that they need to perform, it's it's tough to win on a consistent basis. Um, so I don't know why. He's been really inconsistent. Um, he had a tough start to the season goal-wise, then got hot for about a month, and now unfortunately he's been cold again. So, um, you know, he is a character guy, though, and, and you know, kills penalties, plays the power play, things like that. Uh, but no question, the Blues really need a guy like Shen to get hot and start story, scoring some goals. Well, John Kelly, uh, five years ago, we had a, a really fun stretch from this time of the year on through through June. I don't know if this one's going to result in a Stanley Cup, but let's just hope we continue to see this consistent effort that we talked about at the outset of this interview. Yeah, that would be great. And again, it's a, it's an important month for the Blues. They're, I think they're only a game over 500. You got to be at least to me, 10 games over 500 at the end of the regular season. So they've got some work to do. But um, I I like what I've seen in the last couple of weeks, effort-wise and consistency-wise, and hopefully it results in some wins here in the new year. John Kelly, have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks, guys. See you. John Kelly, that is the TV voice of the Blues on Bally Sports. By the way, at the moment, the Blues are three points out of the wildcard spot in the Western Conference. Uh, Nashville and Arizona hold those spots at the moment with 41 and 40 points, respectively. Then Seattle has 39, Edmonton and the Blues both with 37. And as J.K. mentioned, the schedule here doesn't do the Blues any favors mm-hmm. after they play the Canucks on Thursday night. And we mentioned they go to Carolina. It does not get any easier. They have uh, the Panthers here at home, defending Eastern Conference champions. They've got the Rangers here at home. I mentioned the best record in the league. They have the the second best record in the league. And then Boston here at home, they're always tough before the Blues take on the Flyers here. And then things soften up with Washington, Calgary. But then you got to go back to Vancouver. So the Blues need to win the games that they're like. When Doug Armstrong made the coaching change, he said, we should not lose to teams like 
Detroit, better players, mm-hmm. uh, Columbus, better players, teams like that. So when the Blues get back to that part of the schedule, got to take advantage of it 100% of the time. Yeah, you have to. And hopefully they'll be able to do that. I will say it does feel like sometimes, at least here recently, that the losses aren't as bad as some of those other losses yeah. had felt earlier in the season. Yeah, I can handle, uh, like John said, I can handle the Colorado loss where yeah. you, you competed. I can handle the And then Justin the Falk getting hurt in that game. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I can absolutely handle that. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Matthew is here. And we've got the fight coming up next. Matthew, do you need a fighter? Yes, we need a fighter, Randy. Okay, of good. Let's, let's get a fighter. I didn't know if there, we got somebody coming back for new the new year. New year, new fighter. No, yeah. you're taking, you took a 14-fight uh, winning streak into the new year. Oh, let's see how that goes <laughs> heading into 2024. Uh, text in 314-399-9646, 314-399. Yo-ho! With your name and the word fight, and hopefully you will fight me next on 101 ESPN. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight! In the red corner, average Joe listener! And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive! Please welcome Randy Carricker! Welcome back to the opening drive. Brooke Grimsley here alongside Randy Carricker and Matthew Rocchio. And it is time for the fight. We're welcoming in our fighter today to take on Megamind. That is Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? We're doing great. Are you excited to take on Randy? First fight of the new year. There's a lot of pressure here. Uh, New year, new champ. I think it's time. All right. That's, That's the attitude. You ready to take on Randy? Yes. Question number one. Prior to Friday evening, Mizzou had not won a bowl game versus a top 10 team since the 1960s when they beat which program? Was it Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, or Navy? Um, I'll go with Georgia Tech. All right, question number two. Happy birthday to 2006 world champion Jeff Supon as part of his NLCS MVP run. Which Mets pitcher did Supon homer off of in game three? Was that John Main, Oliver Perez, or Steve Traxel? Um, I'm not sure. Can you repeat it one more time, please? Of course. Happy birthday to 2006 world champion Jeff Supon as part of his NLCS MVP run. Which Mets pitcher did Supon homer off of in game three of that series? Was that John Main, Oliver Perez, or Steve Traxel? I'll go with uh, Oliver Perez. The Royce Clayton saga in St. Louis lasted just over two seasons after Clayton was traded mid-season in 1998 to which team? Was it the Giants, the Rangers, or the White Sox? Uh, White Sox. And Julio Rodriguez became the fourth player in his age 22 season or younger to have a 30 and 30 season. Who is the youngest player to ever do it? Is that Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, or Mike Trout? 
Um, I'm going to go with Ken Griffey Jr. All right. And, Brooke, can you show me what you had down for the first qu- for his first answer really quickly? I uh, My headphones cut out on that one. Can you show me what you had for that one? Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. All right, we'll double-check the score, and we will bring in Randy character. I think that Rocchio couldn't see it because he had on his 2024 did, glasses. Yes, so I, I applaud him for having those on, but I think it also hindered him from seeing what it was. Ryan, how do you feel after that? Uh, not great. A lot of guessing. A lot of guessing. Well, sometimes the guessing works out. Randy is ready for the fight. First one of the year, and Ryan is ready to step up to the challenge. All right, I'm I'm ready. Is Ryan is here? Yes, yeah. Ryan. Good morning, Ryan. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you, Randy? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Good to have you with us. All right. First fight hey. of the year. Ready to take on Ryan, Randy? I'm ready. Yes. Question number one. Okay. Prior to Friday evening, Mizzou had not won a bowl game versus a top 10 team since the 1960s. When they beat which program? 1960s. Uh, they would have been in the Big 8 at the time. Uh, I think that was the Orange Bowl, and I'm trying to think who they would have played in that Orange Bowl. Um, who was it? Was it Florida? I don't even know. Um, but I will. Um, it, man, uh, 19. It was like the 1969 Orange Bowl, but I don't remember who they played. Um, but I, let's see. It, no, it wouldn't have been Spurriers. Maybe it was. Um, who did... I'm trying to think of if there was a contract at the time for the Big 8 in the SEC. I will go with... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, I'll go with Florida. Randy, happy birthday to 2006 world champion Jeff Supon. As part of his NLCS MVP run, which Mets pitcher did Supon homer off of in Game 3? I'll do the lifeline. Was it John Main, Oliver Perez, or Steve Traxel? I'll go with Steve Traxel in that one, Matthew. The Royce Clayton saga in St. Louis lasted just over two seasons after Clayton was traded midseason in 1998 to which team? I believe he was traded to the Rangers. In a deal that brought the Cardinals Fernando Tatis Jr. and Darren Oliver, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to go Texas Rangers. Randy, Julio Rodriguez is the fourth player in it to in his age 22 season or younger to post a 30-30 season. Who is the youngest player to do it at 20 years old? Who is the, who is the fourth guy? Julio Rodriguez. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing that... Uh, uh, maybe Acuna isn't that young. Uh, but uh, to the question, I think I will go with Mike Trote. Mike Trote, eh? I'm going to be Canadian here. Mike Mike Trote. All right. We have a winner in today's fight. Does Randy Carricker win fight number 15 and start off the year with a W? Or does Ryan play spoiler for this New Year's fight edition? Ring that Bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Ryan. Randy Carricker got three today and he beat you 3 0.
Yeah, I didn't know any of them. <laughs> Sorry okay. about that, Ryan. Everyone was clamoring for a lot more baseball, and well, you got it, you sickos. So let's go through <laughs> the questions and answers in this fight today. Prior to Friday evening, Mizzou had not won a bowl game versus a top 10 team since the 1961 Orange Bowl when they Ooh. took down number four Navy midshipmen. They did uh, play in a lot of citru- uh, a lot of uh, Gator Bowls. Mm-hmm. They played against Bama and Florida in Gator Bowls in the 60s and beat both of them, but they were in the teens ranked. Uh, Bama was, uh, Florida was not ranked that season. Uh, Royce Clay or excuse me, happy birthday to 2006 world champion Jeff Supon. As part of his NLCS MVP run, he hit a homer off Steve Traxel in Game 3. By the way, if Steve Traxel's on an answer for a trivia question mm-hmm. for anything that happened to a Cardinal, guess Steve Traxel. Sure, the yeah. man had a bad run against the Redbirds yeah. for a while there. The Royce Clayton saga in St. Louis lasted just over two seasons after Clayton was traded midseason in 1988 to the Texas Rangers, and Julio Rodriguez, the fourth player in his age 22 season or younger to have a 30-30 season. It was, in fact, Mike Trout, who was 20 years old when he had his first ever 30-30 and season. So a 3-0 win for Randy Carricker in the fight today. Again, Ryan, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show today. All right, thanks, guys. Thank, thank you, you Ryan. Appreciate you playing. New year, same yeah. Randy. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, so do you remember who else did you have, uh, Clayton and whom, for Oliver, uh, I can look it up, don't worry. Uh, but uh, it was a two for two, and uh, the Cardinals got Oliver and Tatis. So, anyway, uh, that's a, a good thing that they were able to trade Royce Clayton. And so, the trade was um, yes, Royce Clayton and Todd Stottlemyre, Stottlemyre for Darren Oliver and Fernando Tatis, and eventually the Cardinals sent Mark Little to complete the trade. Oh, okay, yeah, the immortal Mark Little. <laughs> 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 yeah, hope you're hope you're listening, Mark. Thanks for listening. If you are, coming up more baseball, couple of big pitching moves over the course of the weekend. Will that lead the Cardinals to a pitcher? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Last year, after Dansby Swanson signed with the Atlanta Braves, the uh, or signed with the Cubs, the Braves thought that Swanson. Uh, would be replaceable by Vaughn Grissom, a rookie shortstop. And as it turned out, Grissom became expendable because Orlando Arcia became an all-star. And this past weekend, the Braves traded Vaughn, Vaughn Grissom to the Boston Red Sox for Chris Sale, who at one point was one of the best pitchers in baseball and got somewhat healthy last year and pitched pretty well for the Red Sox at times. Now he's a member of the Braves. The Braves are one of the teams, Brooke, that had been mentioned in trade talks with the White Sox for Dylan Cease. So had the Dodgers. They've already acquired uh, their pitchers in getting Yamamoto in free agency and Tyler Glass now. Also this weekend, Lucas Giolito signed with the Red Sox. The Red Sox get rid of Sale and they sign Giolito. Now, the Reds are still there as a team that, that show has shown interest in Dylan Cease. But from what we're hearing from their front office, off the record, of course, sounds like the price is a little bit too high. My question, as I watch all of these pitching moves unfold, is does this... Should this give us more hope as Cardinal fans that the Cardinals will go a little bit extra to get a guy like Dylan Cease in their uniform? <sighs> Randy, you know I 100% agree with you. We've been talking about Dylan Cease a lot and how he would be great for the Cardinals to get because it does still feel like a piece is missing from that starting rotation, and Dylan Cease could do that. Now, just take his ERA last season because I know that people look at that, at what happened with the White Sox. That whole White Sox situation was not good whatsoever. There's no doubt that it affected the players' performances, including Dylan Cease. Look at the numbers prior to that, and I think that he can get back to that point 
and he has two years of control, a manageable salary, and ace potential. Those are all things that mm-hmm. should be, yes, we, we want this because you also need something for the future of this rotation so he can help that. We don't have to bring up the ages of our current starting rotation again no. unless you want to, Randy. No, we're good. But having a 25-year-old, I don't know when he turns 26, but either way, a 25-year-old in Dylan Cease joining that starting rotation will help the Cardinals not only this coming season but also moving forward, which is something they have to look at big picture as well because you don't have a lot of guys who are going to be staying even past next season so or this coming season excuse me but here's my problem Randy is I just find it really hard to believe with all of the supposed trade packages that we've seen out there that the White Sox have supposedly been looking at I can't see the Cardinals actually parting with that many players because there's a combination of things one they'll be looking for multiple top 100 prospects. Mm-hmm. So you could think of like if they're wanting a lot of pitching, a Gordon Graceffo, Tink Hentz, what other things could they look for a bat? And then we also talked about at length, it would likely be you would have to have another centerpiece of that trade in Tommy Edmund, Brennan Donovan, or Nolan Gorman. I don't believe that the Cardinals will part with any of those guys. One, because they've already mentioned Tommy Edmond being in their plans for the outfield. He's going to be their center fielder this coming season. Brennan Donovan getting healthy. I think that they see him as a huge part of the offense. Look at how much the offense dropped off during his injury. And he's their second baseman. Exactly. And then with Nolan Gorman, they still, I believe, see him as a part of their plans. I can't see them parting with Nolan Gorman, who I think would have to be a part of this trade Mm -hmm. with a homegrown, left-handed power bat. I can't see them parting with that whatsoever unfortunately i agree with you because i don't think that that's the the proper way to go i i believe and i know there's a lot of people that are in love with nolan gorman Uh, i i was told by a member of the cardinal staff that they're concerned that nolan gorman has a chronic back condition Mm -hmm. and if there is somebody in your organization that believes that then i think you need to take a close look at that and obviously the medicals would go to the white Sox too but the big thing is, with the Cardinals, as you mentioned, they don't have a guy because of the ages of Lynn and Gibson right now. And Sonny Gray has never been a number one. Pablo Lopez started game one of the playoffs for the Twins this year. They don't have a guy to start game one of a playoff series. And ultimately, if you're going to win, it's going to come down to pitching. That's why John Mosellock said pitching, pitching, pitching. Mm-hmm. Can you manufacture a run? If your offense is struggling to score runs, are you able? Do the rules allow you to get a player on base via a walk and then bunt him over or have him steal and then butt him over and then hit a sack fly. Do those rules apply in baseball? Can you? Can mm-hmm. you do it? How do you manufacture pitching? That's that's the that's a hard part, right? Yeah. And that's the situation the Cardinals keep finding themselves in. Yeah. Is that we've seen in recent years they're struggling to really d- develop that pitching. And as I mentioned, Dylan sees his numbers. Here's the other part of this too: is while you don't know what you're going to get, we haven't seen Michael McGreevy and Gordon Graceffo at a major league level, or even a Tink mm-hmm. Hens. We don't know what that will look like in the majors with Dylan Cease. We at least have a sample size of that outside of last season. If you go back to 2022, posted a 2.20 ERA and also got him second place in the AL Cy Young voting. That's what I would look at. There's a lot of potential there. The fact that he has been able to do that at the major league level, I don't think you take that lightly. And the White Sox very well could be 
asking for an outrageous price. Seems like they are. They are. And they, they can ask for that at <laughs> yeah. the trade deadline because the guy's got two years of control. My wonder, though, is, okay, here they are asking for a bunch of prospects from the Reds. Reds go out and sign Frankie Montas for $16, 17000000 The Reds aren't flush with cash. Mm-hmm. But maybe they think, okay, this is our year, and a uh, uh, f- top two or top three of uh, that starts with Montas and Cease would be good. I don't know if they'll give that up. Then I see the Red so- uh, the Red Sox signing Giolito, and then obviously moving sale for Atlanta. I wonder if the price for a guy like Cease from the White Sox might come down as we get closer to spring training. Not that it'll be cheap. It's going to be have to be a trade that hurts. But whatever the Cardinals do to get that number one starter, it's going to hurt. Because mm-hmm. as we saw with Yamamoto, the price in free agency isn't going down. No. So to get a, a young number one starter in his prime, it seems like you're going to have to actually puke. You're not just going to have to reach your puke point. You're going to have to go beyond your puke point. And I'm one, and I know there's people that disagree with me vehemently about this. I'm one that believes that the key to winning and winning championships is having great pitching. I know there's people now that look at offense and say, nope, you got to have that 40 home run left-handed bat. For me, I've watched a lot over the years and I look at teams that have great pitching as the ones that wind up winning championships. And it's the That's just my that, opinion. Yeah, it's the pitchers that get them to that point, right? And helps you win the championships. So I 100% agree with you. It's just that when you mention the puke point, my first thought is I can't see the Cardinals being a part of reaching that puke point because of what the White Sox are asking for. And honestly, I don't think the White Sox will budge. Maybe they'll keep this going because at this point they know there's still a lot of teams who need another starting pitcher. It's not right. a secret. You can't pretend that you don't need that. All the other teams are able to identify who needs starting pitching at this point. The only concern I would have, and we talked about this when we were as Cardinal fans, would you trade Alex Reyes? No. Would you trade Jack Flaherty? No. Well, if you're the Dodgers, would you trade Walker Bueller? No. Mm-hmm. But all those guys wound up getting hurt. Yeah. And if I were the White Sox, I would be looking at the reality of that situation, that pitchers have a tendency more times than not to get hurt, and he hasn't had that major injury yet. So if I were the White Sox, I, I might be inclined, because I'm in a rebuilding mode, I, I'm starting from ground zero here, I would be inclined to try to make that deal sooner rather than later. Do you think, or does it concern you that the Cardinals are seemingly, say that there won't be a trade, mm-hmm. Does it concern you that the Cardinals are kind of banking on some of these un- other younger pitchers to step up? Eventually that Michael McGreevy will be a part of the conversation, Gordon Graceffo, or even that Zach Thompson will be able to take another leap forward this season? I think Zach Thompson will. I'm concerned about this team's viability as a contender. I, I really look at this group right now, if they max out without that surprise young starter that you're talking about, I think they're a 500 team. I think they're 81 and 81, 82 and 80. They won 71 games last year. Defense took a major step backward. The defense is going to have to improve. The pitching is going to have to improve. And the offense was not great. The offense is, they're, they're going to have to have some dramatic improvements to be a 92 93 win team. So, mm-hmm. to answer your question, though, because I haven't seen young Cardinals starters step up 
in a long time, yes, I'm concerned about that. Yeah, that's the thing. It's pitching, pitching, and more pitching. That's what you need. But it almost feels like we're in the same situation again every offseason of kind of hoping that certain people will take that major step forward. And you do hope that, and you hope that people will not take a step backwards. But at the same time, we saw this past season that that did, in fact, happen. And my hope would be... Adam Wainwright, in playing fantasy football, is relentless in offering trades. He'll offer (laughs) trades every single day. And I hope that Mo or Gersh or whomever is in touch with uh, the the new regime with the White Sox. I hope that they're being relentless and saying, what will it take? What will it take? What will it take? Well, we got this. We got this. We got this. We got this. Try to find the the button to push, and maybe on that day, Chris Getz will say, yeah, I'll take that, and you can make the deal. You never know. I bet every time that the Cardinals call, if they are calling, they're asking for Nolan Gorman. That's fine. 100%. That's if, what if, they're asking for. Uh, Gorman for C straight up. For C straight up? Yep. If I'm putting on the Cardinals' perspective, no. Yeah. I do it in a blink. I just can't see the Cardinals yeah. do it. Like I said, it's even no, it, even with it, the chronic no, if, back if, if, issues. You you wouldn't trade Gorman for Cease? I think up? personally, I think pitching is what matters. So that's yeah. what so I agree with you. Yeah. But I, from the Cardinals' perspective, oh. and I also understand too. I mean, it, the fact that he's homegrown mm-hmm. and left-handed power bat. I think that's something that I can't see. It's something that all major league teams want. Just like how they want pitching, they also want that as well. Now the back issues do concern me. Just a side question, and then we'll move on because I know okay. we had to go to yep. break here. But do you think it has anything to do with his swing? Is that something that can be fit, fixed for him, or is this just kind of something that he's always going to deal with? There's no way maybe he could look at a different swing or a different approach that could help him with his I, back issues. I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. The, only the Cardinals can answer that question. And by the way, you talk about not having a left-handed power bat. Well. They think that Newt Barr is going to hit for more power. They think that Donovan is going to hit for more power. Mm -hmm. And within a year or two, you should have Chase Davis on hand to hit for more left-handed power, too. So I don't think the Cardinals are devoid of left-handed power bats. I think that they can come up with, and maybe even Burleson, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they can come up with somebody who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. It's uh, There's a lot of good left-handed power bats that have never won a World Series. Barry Bonds being number one among them, I believe. Hmm. It does happen. Yep, it does. Uh, That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, it's our Rush Hour Reset. What a weekend in football. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Having the biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. It is 9.03 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. What a day of college football yesterday as next week's national championship game was set. It will be the Michigan Wolverines against the Washington Huskies yesterday at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. A great game between Michigan and Alabama. It went to overtime, and Alabama wound up falling by a score of 27-20 to after Blake Corum had scored on a 17-yard run on Michigan's overtime possession. Alabama had a chance, and it was their quarterback who had the chance to win it in OT. That's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. Fourth and goal at the three, and you try a quarterback draw with a low snap. I 
<laughs> we were just talking about it, and I still don't exactly understand what happened there. And the fact that he also used that Saban used a timeout prior to that. Now, if it worked out, then you look brilliant. But there's no way it would have worked out. I think Connor Stallions wasn't even needed to figure out that, <laughs> that was coming. Helen Keller could feel that that was coming, Randy. <laughs> like it was, it was one of the weirdest things to happen. And it's interesting because Nick Saban kind of defended that play. We called three plays. One they called timeout, one we called timeout, and the last one that didn't work. So the fact that it didn't work made it a really bad call. But we called timeout because we had a bad look. We had a good look on the first one. Uh, they must have known it. But Tommy just felt like the best thing that we could do was have a quarterback run. Uh, which was kind of our two-point play, one of our two-point plays for this game. And the ball was on the three-yard line, which is just like a two-point play. So, But we didn't get it blocked, so it didn't work. We didn't execute it very well, and it didn't work. And they pressured, and we thought they would pressure, uh, but we thought we could gap them and block, block them and make it work, and it didn't. How did they see it coming, Randy? Connor. Connor <laughs> Stallions. He's busy with his he, vacuum he business. Him. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking for him to see if he was part of the celebration. Yeah, he, the... But he would have been on Alabama sidelines in a disguise, oh, right? Oh, that's true. He would have. Right. Oh, I should have looked over there. Okay. Now, yeah. here's the thing about that play is the front seven, especially the interior of the front seven for Michigan, they're studs. They are a really physical group and a really good team. Milrow had had success running on the perimeter for Alabama. Yes. So I don't mind putting the ball in Jalen Milrow's hands. But I don't know from the three why you wouldn't try to get it to the outside. I I have no idea. I was I was showing you a gif earlier where it was Michael Jordan's Space Jam where he extends his arm for the dunk, and that's exactly <laughs> what it kind of felt like he would Milrow would need to do in that moment. I don't know how that possibly would have worked out, especially with what you mentioned, Randy. What you saw from Michigan's defense all night. I don't know why you would think that that would possibly work out. But, hey, if it would have worked out, then it would be the biggest story. And obviously, it would be a a whole different conversation there. But do you think that that was more of, and I know that he was able to run the ball well, but do you think that was more of Saban just not truly trusting Milrow's arm in the game? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think they ever did completely trust Milrow. No. You could definitely tell the difference there. That's why I, I hate that. That saving quote, because the play didn't work, it was a bad play call. No, 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 we're not playing that game, Nick. Because of every extenuating circumstance prior to calling the play, it was not a good play call. Like, let's, again, like, that's that's kind of clear to a lot of people. I understand that Tommy Reese's mindset, like you said, the outside was working, not the middle. And as soon as you call that play, they ate it up and they were doing it that entire drive. You weren't winning at the point of attack when you were moving the ball in that game in the first place. Either way, I thought it was an exciting game. I was sweating towards the end there because you didn't know mm-hmm. what was going to happen. I think that's exactly what the committee was doing with that decision. The TV ratings had to be through the roof, which we yeah. all know at the end of the day, whether you, it was not the most morally 
correct decision to make. But at the end of the day, it was about money. The ratings had to have been great. But going back to Michigan's defense, I brought this set up earlier. They had 10 tackles for loss, including six sacks. Alabama registered just one tackle for loss and one sack. That was the key difference in that game. This is not the Alabama of 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years ago. Meanwhile, in the late game, 21-21 between Washington and Texas at halftime. But on the opening drive of the third quarter, Washington drives... Eight plays, 70 yards, and the amazing quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., went to Jalen McMillan. Again, deliberate. They frequently run the play clock down a lot. In the end zone, touchdown, Jalen McMillan. 28-21 at that point, 31-21 after the third quarter. Washington would score again to make it 34-21 early in the fourth before Texas started coming back. Adonai Mitchell with a one-yard touchdown catch to make it 34-28. And then Washington hit a field goal. Texas hit a field goal. And amazingly, Washington got the ball back with a chance to run out the clock, but their running back suffered an injury that stopped the clock with 50 seconds left and allowed Texas to get in position to try to win this thing. Ewers loves it up and it is incomplete! Intended for Mitchell! Elijah Jackson had the coverage! Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal! And Brooke, I was absolutely convinced that Texas was going to get that get that win and come back and win it. I, and I the did way, too. Boy, that the, the way everything unfolded with the, the the injury that stopped the clock, and then all of the little things that happened for Texas. I thought for sure they were going to come back and win it. I did too, because Texas, if you haven't watched them this season, is a really really good team. I honestly thought that Texas could have won the national championship. That was one of my favorites of the teams that could possibly have won it, but. Michael Penix Jr. is a really good quarterback. The way that he was really able to kind of slice and dice Texas's defense, and that's a really good defense that he was able to do that against. And he looked like exactly what you would want with a college quarterback, but also potentially you could see him in the NFL. We were talking about this earlier, Randy, and I know that, and I mentioned this, but these are things that you know. You've heard from NFL scouts. They pay attention to every little detail, including how you are as a leader when they're looking at potential mm-hmm. franchise quarterbacks. He called a players-only meeting prior to the game, and the fact that he has control of that locker room in that way, I think, shows a lot of leadership qualities. And then he also displayed those leadership qualities on the field, how he was able to manage that game, and also all the different ups and downs in that game. Where do you think that he now goes after that performance? And I know that they still have another game to play here, but where does he go in the NFL draft now? Well, I would think if he has a great performance against Michigan, that he could move up to number one because there is, believe it or not, recency bias among NFL people. And mm-hmm. I'll give you a story here in a moment. But the fact that he has the opportunity, Caleb Williams doesn't have the opportunity to play another game. Drake May doesn't have the opportunity to play another game. These quarterbacks that are sitting on the sidelines don't have the unique opportunity that Michael Penix Jr. does. Now, I go back to the St. Louis Rams, and in 1996, they had the sixth pick in the draft. And Lawrence Phillips has a great game in the Fiesta Bowl against Florida. He had been suspended for most of the season and lights it up against Florida in the Fiesta Bowl. The next morning after the Fiesta Bowl, the Rams general manager at the time, Steve Ortmeier, the late Steve Ortmeier, walks into the office and says to one of the PR people, one of the only other people in the building, we got our number one draft pick. 
based, based yes. upon what he had watched on TV the night before. A hundred percent. Those things change so quickly. Yep. And they literally, which is kind of crazy that there's still some who fall through the cracks, but they literally pay attention to every single little detail, especially even things off the field and how you are liked in the locker room. They'll ask former teammates. They'll go to your high school. Haven't you heard mm-hmm. stories of that? They will go and find people from your hometown and figure out who you are. And they can also be influenced by a single game. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. So if Phoenix, after on the heels of last night, if he has a good game against Michigan, I could absolutely see him moving, moving up to up. number one. And right now, I think most of the mock drafts have Caleb Williams still at the top. But things could change. And even when you go to the combine, things change. Mm-hmm. So anything is possible. There you have your Rush Hour Reset here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, four downs from the weekend in the National Football League. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Four downs from the National Football League. First down. All right, uh, Brooke, are you aware of this? that the only NFL quarterbacks with more touchdown passes than Green Bay's Jordan Love are Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy. Wow. Prescott, Purdy, Love. Love is 10th in the NFL in yards per game, 11th in passer rating, 10th in the all-important QBR. Quarterbacks that Love is ahead of in that category include Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, and C.J. Stroud, all with an opportunity to go to the playoffs this weekend or are already in the playoffs. And... Jordan Love doesn't have a receiver with more than two years of NFL experience. And Green Bay can win this weekend and clinch a playoff berth with the first year under Jordan Love as their quarterback. Brett Favre didn't make the playoffs in his first year as a Packers starter. Aaron Mm -hmm. Rodgers didn't make the playoffs in his first year as a Packers starter. Jordan Love can do something that those guys didn't. And I think Green Bay might have been right again. I think so. The I, they have the formula that I feel like all the other NFL teams would love to follow. They know how to really build up a young quarterback and get him going. This is a young team, and for them to accomplish this this season, I, I don't think many people were expecting this because of how young this group is and that you have a new signal caller coming in, taking over a big role, especially after the absence of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, those are big shoes to fill, but Jordan Love continues to just grow, and he looks confident, and this nucleus offensively is just clicking really, really well. And Jordan Love, in my opinion, is a better Jordan Love when Aaron Jones is in the backfield behind him. No doubt. And Jones was available the other night for Mm -hmm. 120 yards rushing. But these are the names of the people that caught passes from Jordan Love the other night. Bo Melton. All right. Jaden Reed. Tucker Craft. They each had six catches to lead the team. Romeo Dobbs had three. Malik Heath. Aaron Jones. Ben Sims. And Simone Tour or Touré. Those are the guys. Bo Melton, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, Romeo Dobbs, Malik Heath, Aaron Jones, Ben Sims, and Simone Touré. I would say that uh, Jordan Love's doing pretty good. Yeah, I think so. And so it's very exciting to see the Packers being able to accomplish this with the young quarterback. Like I said, I feel like everybody has to be in the NFL pretty jealous of how they continue to pull this off. We were trying to think of teams that have had three in a row. It's hard to to have three good quarterbacks in a row. Chargers, Breeze, Rivers, uh, Justin Herbert. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem like there's many. By the way, the Packers play the Bears 
at home with that playoff spot on the line on Sunday? It has to be, one, you have to give them credit for identifying the talent of what works in that position, and two, the process that they have of making sure that quarterback can succeed. That's worked for more than 30 years now. Yeah, I I'm, has to make the rest of the NFL jealous. Well, my second down... Second down. Second down is going to be... Randy, the Eagles losing to the Cardinals? Yikes. The Cardinals, 35-31. to 31. Randy, they lost at home. They lost when they had so much to play for. If they had won this game and the next game against an equally bad Giants team, mm-hmm. they would have secured the number two seed in the NFC. Instead, they blew it. And once again, we talked about this last week. I brought this up about how sacks have been a huge issue for the Eagles this season when it was actually something that was good for them last year. They led the league in sacks last year with 70. And now this season, they're kind of middle of the pack. But their defense right now is their Achilles heel. And I don't know where they exactly go from here because they downgraded Sean Desai, as we know, Mm -hmm. and they upgraded Matt Patricia. And that's been three games now, and their defense has not improved in those three games. Where do you go from here with the Eagles' defense? Here's the thing. They lost to the guy that beat them in that game, Jonathan Gannon, was their defensive coordinator. Where they're like, please come back, help us. Right, right. Hey, by the way, do you have some notes for our defense after that? And they also (laughs) lost Sean Steichen, Mm -hmm. who is going to perhaps make the playoffs with a win for the Colts over the course of the weekend. It's not an issue of injuries. And by the way, they started off 10-1, and one and now they've gone 1-4 and four since, I believe. Yeah, they've had, what is it? 11-5 and five right now, yeah. Yes. So uh, I don't know where they go because it's not because of a serious injury. The, the, they still have their guys. Yeah. And it just seems like when the other parts, other teams in the league, Cardinals, Giants, are zigging, the Eagles aren't zagging. They're just reactionary, and it's not happening for them. I don't know what happens short of making more coordinator changes this offseason because we all know Matt Patricia's an idiot, right? And so, that's that's bad when that is what you're doing right. to change your defense. And it's been three games. Nothing has changed. Here's another to bring up. Typically, as we mentioned, the front seven is a highlight for the Eagles, especially that we have seen before. So you gave the extension you mentioned with the personnel, with Josh Josh Sweet, a big contract for Hassan Reddick, and first-round picks on Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, and Nolan Smith. The Eagles are currently 15th in pressure rate and 25th in sack rate. That's not going to cut it. Not when your, your group was built upon being able to get after the quarterback. And... I think that's something that Jonathan Gannon did really well is manufacture pass rush. And that's not going to happen with Matt Patricia, unfortunately for them. Also, Kyler Murray, like, is legit. And that I I, I knew he was, I mean, I knew he could be an average quarterback. For for him to be consistently above average to reflect that contract, that's not something I actually expected we were going to see this year. And he was was legit in that game against the Eagles. Did not anticipate that from the little fella. Do you think the Cardinals owner is just like, can we quit? doing this like we weren't supposed to win yeah we weren't supposed to be doing this yeah, it's got, you got to be bad at, you got to be better at tanking than, it was their than fourth right win now. this season yeah and they gave the number one pick with that win to the bears yep third down 
All right. I hope we realize, kids, that we are watching history unfold by the Bay. The 49ers with Brock Purdy, who has 4,280 passing yards. Christian McCaffrey, who has 2,023 yards from scrimmage. And wide receivers Brandon Ayuk, 1,317 scrimmage yards. And Debo Samuel, 1,085 scrimmage yards. And tight end George Kittle, 1,022 from scrimmage. With that group. The 49ers are the fourth team in NFL history with a 4,000-yard passer and four players each with 1,000 or more yards from scrimmage. Joining the 2004 Colts, the 95 Falcons, and the 1990 Houston Oilers. That's a little bit of history. Here's a lot of history. San Francisco with McCaffrey, Ayuk, Samuel, and Kittle is the first, the first team in NFL history, and they did it in 16 games with a running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end, each with a 1,000 scrimmage yards in the same season. No team had ever done what San Francisco is doing this year. So if you get the opportunity to watch them in their finale against the Rams or come playoff time, watch history unfold with the San Francisco 49ers. They are so good. They're really, really good. I know that they had some of their struggles this season, but I think that was more just due to injuries. But I think that they have at least bounced back in a good way. And there's so much talent. If you could put together, I feel like, a fantasy team, a dream team of just kind of players right now in the NFL, they have just about every single player you would want, essentially, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. And here's the cool thing. They'll... I hope get another opportunity against the Ravens. Don't as big yes. as the Ravens won against them. Don't you want to see that again? Oh, a hundred percent. I want to see that again. Fourth down. Oh, we're saving the best for last, mm. Randy. The big controversy this weekend. We talked about a little bit earlier. I'm calling it the Cowboys and Lions moot. Do we like that? Or is it kerfuffle? Or what word should we go with to describe this controversy that we saw unfold this weekend? I would say with the way that Dan Campbell reacted at the podium, we've got a full-fledged brouhaha. <laughs> he, he was one more question away from destroying that podium, he by was. the way. I don't know if you noticed that. But if you didn't see it. I don't want to talk it, about it. <laughs> no. If you didn't see it, just basically this is what happened. The controversial call in question happened when the Lions went for a two-point conversion with 23 seconds left in the game to take the lead. Randy. And first... It seemed like everything was going really well. Jared Goff found left tackle number 68. The numbers are important here. Taylor Decker opening the end zone to take the lead. However, after a brief celebration, there was a flag thrown and Brad Allen announced that there was an illegal touching penalty on the Lions because Decker allegedly did not declare himself as an eligible receiver. Now, this is where the controversy comes in because we've all seen the video now a million different times. If you look at the video, I think that the players did everything that they were supposed to do, Randy. Jared Goff telling Decker to go report number 68, Mm -hmm. important here. And he went over to Allen, and you can see him reporting. And then you see number 70, Dan Skipper, kind of come trots in a little bit later. Now, here is where I think that the kerfuffle, the miscommunication, where Allen messed up and where he made a mistake, is that purposefully, the Lions throughout the game had... Dan Skipper, number 70, report multiple times. That was to throw off the Cowboys. So in that situation, it was to very much, it was gamemanship, right? It was to create some confusion there. Allen, in my opinion, made a mistake. I think that it was a mistake that was made, even though afterwards he did stick by it that Decker did not report as eligible. I The video, I feel like, shows otherwise, right? I agree with that. And here's the other thing about it. He can't believe... Allen, the referee, 
can't believe that an NFL team and NFL players and coaches are that dumb. You yes. can't check yes. in as an eligible receiver and then line up at right guard. It's against the rules. And everybody that's ever watched a football game knows this. So mm-hmm. to me... When they line up and he sees number 70 at right guard and he knows that number 70 has reported as eligible, he's got to run in, official timeout, and say to number 70, did you report as eligible? Yes, especially in a crucial moment like that. And here's the worst part about it is that Dan Campbell says, I told them to a T what was going to happen before the game started. The officials have a meeting with every coach before the game, and Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, told the officials what the play was going to be. It was a brain fart on the part of Allen, but a horrible one because that will prevent Detroit from having an opportunity to be the number two seed in the NFC. I, I, and look, I usually try to sympathize. I know that everybody always say, oh, the refs, the refs, refs, this and that. Mm-hmm. That was one where I think it was a very clear mistake. And it was very tactical by the Lions. That was yeah. a great thing that they did. As you mentioned, Campbell, he did the due diligence before the game of really spelling out all different situations there for the refs to understand. And I think that Allen basically assumed because number 70 Dan Skipper had reported multiple times throughout the game, Mm -hmm. which was a part of the game plan to throw off the Cowboys, that when he didn't even look, if you kind of look at the video, he doesn't exactly, he he looks at Decker's number 68's face, but he doesn't look down Mm -hmm. at his jersey, and then he kind of walks off, and then Skipper kind of walks into the frame number 70, and I think he just assumed that it was 70 again. Right. I think that's 100% what happened. Yeah, and then in the pool report, Allen, I guess you're going to do this if you're an official. He doubled down. He did. And he he insisted that he was right when the players, Skipper said, no, I didn't say a word to him. Uh, And uh, Decker said, I I did. And Jared Goff said, I told Decker to go over and report. And you saw that in the video. Yeah. Yeah. So they did, the players, in my opinion, they did every single thing right. And it was absolutely frustrating. I think that we're humans. We understand that Mm -hmm. people make mistakes. That was a mistake on Allen's part. I also think it's really telling, too, that Adam Schefter, the next day that he goes on ESPN, or was that that night? Either way, it was very quickly after the game. He goes and says that many of the officials, including... Brad Allen, are going to be downgraded. Now, mm-hmm. Schefter, as we know, he is very close with everything with the NFL. He wouldn't be just saying that to say that. That's because he has some inside knowledge that they are going to downgrade them. So the NFL will never admit that they're wrong, but they will do things behind the scenes to hold people, quote unquote, accountable. But this was also the crew that missed the pass interference call at the end of the Packers yes. Chiefs game. Uh-huh. And then the week before, a Saints Falcons game was affected by that same crew. So that crew should be downgraded. A hundred percent. And I just want to throw this out there. NFL, you have video and sound of it. We know that you do. Mm -hmm. Randy, you've seen the sidelines and everybody at home, you've seen on this too. The guys with the parabolic, they're called parabolic microphones. It's the giant plate looking Mm -hmm. thing that's clear that you see somebody holding on the sidelines. That is a mic that Randy picks up every single thing. And even if you don't have the sound, which I don't know how you would have the sound of Decker reporting. There's cameras, so many cameras on the sidelines where you would be able to even lip read what exactly happened in that situation. And why don't referees now, and I guess it happens now and then, but why doesn't he get on his microphone and say 70 has reported as eligible to the whole crowd and to the entire TV world so that if he's wrong, the Lions can say, no, that's not right. 
Now, obviously, it might give away what you're doing, yeah. but it seems to me that that used to happen a lot when, when a, a guy with a 60 or 70s number would report that mm-hmm. the official would announce that over the PA system. I don't know why they don't do that anymore. It's just absolutely crazy. I know the NFL has all that video yeah, and they sound. They, they have you it. You know they've got they, it. They have it. So maybe one day they'll release it. No, I, don't think they, I think they'll burn it before they'll release it. <laughs> exactly. That's four downs from the NFL on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Dennis out of CBS Sports reports that a couple of veteran coaches might not be in college football anymore next year. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Interesting piece by our friend Dennis Dodd at CBSSports.com over the weekend where he writes, for completely different reasons, Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban have reached possible career terminuses. The chatter about their coaching futures has progressed beyond the speculation stage. It's obvious Harbaugh may once again need to decide between his beloved alma mater and a step back into the NFL. While deciding, he'll need to consider dueling NCAA investigations that could result in major penalties for him and the Wolverines. Meanwhile, the Saban retirement buzz started bubbling up about a month ago. Will perhaps the greatest college football coach of all time actually consider stepping down? One agent told CBS Sports his phone started blowing up within the last 30 days with informed speculation that this could be it for Saban. Brooke, let's start with Jim Harbaugh, who apparently has been offered a 10-year deal worth about $125 million by Michigan. He hired a new agent that was announced over the weekend, Don Yee, Tom Brady's agent. But Apparently, what's holding up him signing that deal is that Michigan wants a clause, a guarantee that he won't leave for the NFL in 2024. I could absolutely see him not taking that deal and leaving for the NFL. As a matter of fact, Jeff Saturday this morning mm-hmm. on uh, our our morning show on Sportsmanlike, he suggested that a deal between Harbaugh and the Chargers might already be done. Oh, the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, the, it seems like the Chargers are definitely looking for a change. I know that Bill Belichick, we have discussed that that could be a possibility, but that makes a lot of sense with Harbaugh. I I could 100% see it happen because of the hiring of the agent. I think that's very telling mm-hmm. about where his head's at. And honestly, I thought about, too, this weekend, if the in- investigation, if that would also have a factor. I don't think so, because the NCAA... One, we know that they really don't do much when it comes to actually holding teams accountable, unless you're Mizzou. Outside of right, that, if right. you're a blue blood, then you're completely fine. So I don't know if that would necessarily worry him, but maybe to get away from that and go out on top, essentially. And a lot of play, a lot of his players will be getting ready for the NFL draft. So it mm-hmm. kind of seems like it would be a very seamless transition that would make a lot of sense for him. Especially if they can beat Washington. There's only been... Two other coaches that have won a national championship and a Super Bowl. Jimmy Johnson, who built an NFL team, and then Barry Switzer, who kind of took over Jimmy Johnson's built NFL team. Switzer winning at Oklahoma and with the Cowboys. Johnson winning at Miami Mm -hmm. and with the Cowboys. I could see that being a part of the motivation for uh, Jim Harbaugh. But another part of it is, as one of his offensive linemen, Trevor Keegan, told CBS Sports, one thing I know, his brother having a Super Bowl is eating at him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and obviously, John beat Jim in the Super Bowl in 2012 when the Ravens yeah. 
beat the 49ers. I could see a little sibling rivalry being a part of this, too. I could see that 100% as well. And why this seems like the perfect time for all of this to happen. So mm-hmm. why not? That would be yeah. more my question is what would hold him back, you think? Because I, to me, it makes sense. But what do you think it would be the reason he wouldn't do it? I would think the only thing would be is if he didn't have the power. But with firing Tom Telesco, their general manager, the Chargers appear to have everything that he would want. Maybe they won't pay him, but otherwise they've got power, they've got quarterback, they've got money, they've got market. Mm-hmm. They've got no, the only real issue that they have to deal with there is that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are in the division. Yeah. But otherwise, if you're a hard if you're Harbaugh, you're a competitor, and you know that you can go in there and win. Meanwhile, Nick Saban is seventy two now, and we saw all of the consternation and heard all of the consternation from coaches about where college football is. It used to be that Nick Saban could go out and recruit a bunch of four and five star guys. He had four number one draft choice receivers on a roster at one time. He once had a running back room that had Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, there were four good Josh Jacobs, four good NFL running backs in the room. Now, if a running back isn't happy, he goes into the transfer portal and he's gone the next year. Now, Saban's been able to take advantage of the transfer portal, but there's a lot of stress on coaches, not only having to recruit, but now having to recruit their own players. I wonder if at 72, if Saban, as again, Dennis Dodd notes in his piece at CBSSports.com, feels like he's just had enough. I feel like Saban is also equally as competitive as Harbaugh. I feel like if he would retire, that he would also want to go out on top. That is just my feeling. I don't think that this would be the exit he would exactly want. Don't you feel like that? Yeah, I would think that he'd want And maybe it would be different if he won it all. Maybe. I think so. I think that that's the only thing that I could see. But as 72 years old, I could see with the way that things mm-hmm. have changed so much in the college football landscape with him maybe being willing to retire. But I just don't see it yet for Nick Saban. Now, one other note here. And this is a great note by Dennis Dodd. Okay. Alabama being Alabama, speculation has spread to include who might replace Saban. The first call might have to go to Oregon's Dan Lanning, who proved himself a skilled SEC recruiter and coordinator at Alabama, a graduate assistant at Alabama in 2015, and at Georgia, where he was an assistant coach from 2018 to 21. So not only are they talking Nick Saban retirement rumor, but they're talking replacement <laughs> oh, that's crazy. You you really think that Alabama would want to replace him that, after this? Well, if he retires, they got oh, to replace him with somebody. Well, yeah, yeah, but are you looking at some of the other different replacements? Yeah, well, you have to. Every good athletic director has five names in there uh, on a list. Wouldn't you love to see that? Yes, who, who it was. Yeah. Now, if you're Dan Lanning and you just built what you've built with Oregon and you're moving to the Big Ten and you have a chance to win a national championship in the Big Ten every year. Do you want to be the person that replaces Nick Saban? Mm, if you're extremely competitive and you like all the perks of Alabama and playing in the SEC, mm-hmm. then yeah, that might be a little bit appealing. Well, the, the money will be there. The SEC will be there. But, man, I don't... Uh, it's kind of like being the, uh, the guy who replaced John Wooden, Gene Bartow. You don't want to re- replace a legend. You you want to replace the guy who replaces the legend, mm. because then you're you're looking look so at. So they need kind of like a buffer in between. Yes. is that what you're saying? Yeah, so Just a little bit. Yeah, maybe get their 
Maybe get Tommy Reese to be their head coach for a couple of years, a current offensive coordinator. Tennessee football had a lot of buffers in between some coaches. So yeah. maybe don't do that because then you don't want to do what, <laughs> what no. happened with Tennessee in that middle part. We'll never forget about the Butch Jones era. But anyways. Maybe Jeremy Pruitt would be available for Alabama. He was an assistant there one time. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you have to watch out with him and, you know, Nobody bags. could wear a mask like Jeremy Pruitt. <laughs> That was a weird time yeah, in just college to, football. Just to, the way that it, they all just struggled with wearing face masks. If you haven't done They're it. They're just like us. They are. <laughs> Go to, just Google Jeremy Pruitt gator or mask. <laughs> it just, looks so And then do bad. an image search for Gary. Ger- oh, you don't even need to do an image search. It just shows up for you. Mm. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt mask. He didn't really figure out the concept <laughs> of the mask. No, the, the mask definitely hindered him. That's for sure. It looked like a... Like a European woman wearing a scarf. <laughs> it looks <laughs> so bad. Thing. It is a beautiful thing. Oh, uh, that is Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got rock and roll heading down the stretch of this edition of the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Time for Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. Matthew Rocchio has some stuff for us to talk about, I'm sure. Matthew, what do you got? We're getting a lot of texts, Randy, about that Detroit Lions play. Are they really smart texts? No. Well, I mean, <laughs> listen, this is this is kind of a thing about the NFL that I think you could watch a lot of NFL games and not really come away with the facts around illegal formation and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So just a little thing that we're throwing out because a lot of people are still texting in and saying, no, the, the, the issue is that he was covered up and things like that. Just a really quick thing. You have to have seven players on the line of scrimmage. I, I put a picture of it uh, for and, one of our texters. I, and <laughs> you can't cover up essentially the tight end. And Taylor Decker was, as an eligible receiver, nominally yes. at the left tackle position, was essentially a tight end. What they say when you say you can't cover up a player means you can't have a wide receiver on the line of scrimmage right next to him. If you see there, though, Josh Reynolds is, as per the NFL rule books, back off the line of scrimmage. Now, technically, you should be a yard off the line of scrimmage. He might be a little bit closer than that. But he is an uncovered receiver. Therefore, if the refs don't screw it up, Taylor Decker would have been eligible. And you can kind of see, if you look at that play, you can see that Sam Laporta is off of the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. next to a right tackle. Then you can see the the wide receiver opposite him is back on the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how the illegal formation things worked out. I know, again, it is kind of a weird thing that I think you can watch a lot of football and never come down to, but that's why the officials really screwed that one up bad. In fact, that's why they screwed it up twice and made it so confusing for people. I think that's why people are getting so confused. It's so confusing. But at the end of the day, I just keep going back to that video. If we didn't have that video, then maybe I wouldn't think too much about it and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, somehow, even though an NFL player shouldn't make a mistake like that, he must have made a mistake and didn't report properly. I mean, we've seen crazier things happen from players, right? But then when you see the video... You definitely see Decker, number 68, goes up to the ref, and he looks like he's reporting eligible. You can kind of see him go like this, like with his chest, like on his jersey, where he's reporting eligible. But the ref doesn't look exactly at his jersey. He just looks at his face. And then you see Dan Skipper, number 70, kind of trot onto the field. And I think that he just, and Skipper was in his line of vision, that since Skipper was reporting multiple times throughout the game, which was a part of the gamemanship, great job by the Lions. It just, he got confused. That's what it was. And they lined up perfectly. To your point, Matthew, there's, uh, when you look at the line of scrimmage and there are pictures of it all over 
the the X or the Twitter, whatever you want to call it, the the alignment was perfect for the Lions. They mm-hmm. just uh, they were victimized by the referee. A hundred percent. And I'm honestly kind of shocked when I was reading the different reactions around around the footballing world, and I was shocked that. Not that Mike Florio had something that I disagreed with vehemently, just that Florio's reaction was that the Lions kind of set themselves up for failure on this one by trying to trick the Cowboys and essentially having Skipper run near the official to confuse them. And my point to that is, again, this gets down to the issue sometimes with the, with the chains and the, and, the first, and the first downs and things like that. How is a billion-dollar organization... Is, are you going to throw your hands and be like, oh, well, they got a little bit too tricky and we just couldn't keep up with it in the moment. That is the dumbest excuse to give the NFL billions of dollars, every piece of technology at their hands. This should be a thing that never happens. And especially because the referee was told before the game yes. what was going to happen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Dan Campbell said... And uh, somebody texts in that Rex Ryan echoed this, but Dan Campbell said, I told them to a T what was going to happen. That was the exact play that he told Brad Allen and, and his crew about. So that makes it even more frustrating. And I know it's the end of a long day and a long night game for the referee. And things can get confusing and maybe aren't paying as close attention, clearly aren't playing, paying as close attention as you should. But man alive, if... The Lions wind up not getting home field. And oh, by the way, the Cowboys get home field in the playoffs because of that. Conveniently, where yeah. they have played their best all season and went undefeated. 8 0, right? Yeah. At home, at home. this season? Yeah. Convenient, huh? Yeah, it is. It's just Sounds like a, cons- a Cowboys conspiracy. Totally. There's no doubt that the Cowboys get a distinct unfair advantage from the National Football League because they're the stupid America's team with the stupid <laughs> star on their stupid <laughs> silver helmets. I don't, I don't want this to be completely true. And so I will say, uh, to a point of a texter and to the, uh, a point that Adam Schefter himself tweeted out, they did miss a clear call where Adam, where Aiden Hutchinson was the one who caused the trip, not a Cowboys player, and that ended up and, being and, a pretty big and call. what was the scoring play on that particular mm. non-call? Mm. Um, it, uh, f- plays the, later. So it it doesn't. It seems to me this was a scoring play with 23 seconds left that changed the outcome of the game. Changed everything. Yeah, somebody said, somebody takes it and just goes. None of this would have mattered if they don't get the tripping call wrong. <laughs> Cowboys could have run out the clock. Well, so. <laughs> so this that's this, a bang. Oh, it was there. Bang bang play. Something that happened before yep. the snap, and the and the official should have been aware of. We we see all the time bang bang screw ups, and we and, and we get over it a lot quicker yeah. than but a procedural procedural yes. mess ups. That something happened where somebody didn't do their job, not a player screwing up on the field. There's a completely different. That's a completely exactly. different scenario. And that Thank is just you. a huge one. NFL yeah. release the audio. You have it. Right. You but have they it. Won't do it because it's the Cowboys. They'll burn the tape. It's already gone. It's already gone. It's, it's yep. out in space. Yep. A great job today on our first day of 2024 by our producer, audio, video engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, happy New Year's. Happy New Year. How about that? How about that? How about that? Yeah, we're wearing our uh, oh, happy New Year stuff. Uh, Matthew is, Brooke is. Uh, and we thank you for joining us on the Air Alliance Team Studio Cam, where we do have our Happy New Year decorations on our heads and stuff. Uh, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Is McKernan working today? Yes. 2024? Yes. I saw him. Tim so this will be one of the five or six that he works in 2024? <laughs> Randy. Uh-oh. No.
Oh. It'll be one of four he works this week. Oh, boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're right. Anyway, uh, for all of us, until tomorrow morning, hump day at 7, have a great meh Tuesday, everybody. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.